ただいまから緊急放送を行います皆様の受信機にこれから不協和音が流れますが故障ではございませんまたどうぞスイッチをお切りにならないでボリュームを最大に上げて鳴らしていただきたいのですお願いいたしますどうぞスイッチはお切りにならないでください Welcome to the emergency broadcast number six. How's my volume out there, everybody? How's、Sounds、my、good. volume out there to my co hosts here? Sounds good, Sounds to, good me. to me. Excellent. Excellent. So here we are, episode 194 of the Kaiju Cast, and this happens to be our emergency broadcast number six. Where we broadcast live out into the internet. And we have this rad chat room so that people can、uh, chat with us as we talk and distract us as long as we're not you know, looking. You know, we gotta like, not look at all the chat room stuff all the time. But、uh, it's a place for people to hang out, a place for people to like, chill. And、uh, I used to call this like, the live listener party, but then people got confused between this and the actual listener parties that we had.、Uh, so. mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, way to bring it up again and cause more confusion. Confusion. <laughs> Confusion and delay. That's what I'm all about. That's what I'm all about at all times. So, what's on deck? Well, first up, let me introduce my fabulous co hosts for the emergency broadcast. We have Mr. Brian Cook here. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up? How's it going? It's going pretty well. I'm、uh, really psyched that we're able to get so many people together for this particular episode.、Uh, Brian's here along with his lovely wife and awesome co host of mine, Rachel. Thanks. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> I was totally distracted by the chat room. Thank you, Johnny Snyder.、Um, and it's his fault. Oh, I sound muffled. Oh, okay. Let me look at my microphone. Am I talking into it the right way? Usually we get to test this stuff not live. So, how, does I, how do I sound now? Audio tests during the、uh, live show are always so amazing. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then,、uh, last but not least, we can get back to your audio quality a little bit later, Rachel. But we、okay. have Clancy Peterson here, too. Hey, everybody. So, how's it going, dude? It's going、uh, pretty good. It's,、uh, it was a lot easier getting here.、Uh, the last show I was on, I had to go all the way to Japan. <laughs> And、uh, <laughs> this episode, it was a 10 minute drive. So. Not、I guess too that's、bad. a little bit less of an adventure. <laughs>、uh, so these are my co hosts. We got Brian, Rachel, Clancy, and of course me, I'm Kyle, and we are going to be going through some really awesome stuff in this particular episode. Who are we going to be speaking to for this live broadcast? Well, first, we're going to talk to the guys from the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. That's Kyle Bird and Matt Parmley. That's a podcast that started up, I'm going to say, somewhat recently. But that's because I'm, I'm really terrible at listening to podcasts. So they're going to join us and talk about some of the awesome stuff they have in the future. And、uh, after that, we're going to be talking with Ed Gojicheski and Steve Rifle, who have written a brand new book about Ashiro Honda,、yes. the director of some of our favorite special effects movies. And then after that, we're going to be talking to Sean Lincolnback, who is the author of The Art of Japanese Monsters, which is an amazing poster book. I mean, amazing poster book. If anybody has any, any desire at all to see like, some of the crazy cool stuff that's come out of Japan and the related posters from other countries for those same movies, 
this is the book you need to check out. And if you, you know, if, uh, I think it's still available out there. So if you don't have it, we'll have a link in the show notes afterwards when I post the episode to get that book. Uh, and then of course it wouldn't be an emergency broadcast without a ton of stuff to give away. We have oh, yeah. five prize packs here at the Kaiju cast HQ. And then we also have, uh, one prize pack donated by Ayame Chiba, that's called the Chiba Force, which has so much stuff. It actually kind of makes our prize packs look lame. So that's going to be the very <laughs> last thing we give away in the episode. Uh, but, you know, honestly, this uh, – <laughs> Michael Schwartz says dibs on Death Kappa. Death Kappa is <laughs> not actually in the prize packs. That was that was something I was contemplating because I think I have an extra copy, but not, not today. Huh? <laughs> not today, Satan. So uh, we are going to go ahead and – Get started, but not with a giveaway, not with an interview. <laughs> we are going to start things off with the news. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. It's been like so long since we've done a news episode, you guys. I mean, I honestly can't even remember the last stuff we covered. I know we had some something since Clancy's been in the studio, yeah. uh, and I think it was with you guys maybe coming over I and talking so. a little maybe. bit about news. Yeah. Basically, there's been some stuff happening, and we need to talk about it. The first thing I wanted to talk about is uh, Godzilla 2 from Legendary, or Godzilla Stranger Beasts, as I'm calling it, because they have announced the director, they've started announcing the cast, and they've started sort of – well, they haven't really officially announced the, the time when it starts, but basically – Michael Doherty is the director that's been tapped. We already knew that he was tapped for being a screenwriter as well. So it's awesome that he's going to be part of that same collective, the people who write and direct their own movies. Uh, you guys familiar with his work? Yeah. I'm drawing a blank. Remind Michael me. Michael Doherty did Trick or Treat. Oh, okay. And he did Krampus. All right. So it's not like he's a crazy established director, but those two mm -hmm. movies, like I thought Krampus was fun. Mm -hmm. And I thought Trick or Treat was freaking awesome. So yeah. cool. Have you have you all seen that? Have you? I've not. Yeah, I've seen I've seen both. And Trick or Treat is it's one of those like, at least for me and some of my friends, just that immediate, um, like classic, yeah, anthology Halloween type film where yeah. you're like, I am definitely going to be watching this for years to come, and and do you know watch it on Halloween? Um, it's just so fun and. uh you know, when you're in that spirit, if you're a person that's really into Halloween, uh, it just fit in there nicely. So, nice. yeah. And the, the, you know, I'm a huge fan of anthology books and I like movies as well. It's like, I feel like it's a treat when we get an anthology movie because oh, yeah. they're so few and far between. I like, honestly, if they came out and they said, well, you know, we're, we decided to do an anthology Godzilla movie. Hey, I'm not going to complain about that. I doubt yeah. they're going to do that. <laughs> uh, but you know, Krampus and, and Trick or Treat were both legendary pictures, so I'm not surprised at all that they've chosen Doherty for this task. And I'm I'm looking forward to see what he does, uh, to seeing what he does. He's not really – I don't know his work well enough so that I can say whether he is or isn't a good choice for Godzilla. But I think you guys remember me saying that because we've got Godzilla 2 and then the next Godzilla movie is going to be Godzilla vs. King Kong, I think they need to transition from – the Sourpuss 2014, which was a really kind of dour film in a sense. Like it was kind of slow and 
Uh, well, I'm not going to go into why I don't like the movie, but <laughs> you know, they need to make it fun. They need to make Godzilla fun because you can't just go from like heavily impactful, somber movie to King Kong versus Godzilla, right. which is supposed mm-hmm. to be a romp, you know? Mm-hmm. So I want to see Godzilla two be that romp, right? Um, I see. I was kind of thinking a little long, different lines. If, if the director is known for doing a horror, horror genre, um, then I would want to see more something that, you know, he has experience in and maybe something that's, you know, I still, it can still be fun, but, um, but have a horror element to it. Of, sure, and sure. I, I mean, I always want that in a Godzilla movie, but, um, but I think that that would be neat to see him doing something a little, um, I don't know, more scary. Well, and both of his, I mean, he's done some other stuff too, but those two big films, um, they are horror, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there's definitely a humor that rides through both of those films. Oh, right on. And uh, again, this is a this is a huge franchise. Like they're setting up Godzilla to be, you know, bring in King Kong, connect those two things. So I I don't know how much creative control they're going to give the guy, um, but I would imagine he'd at least get some of his flavor in there. And I I have to imagine they're bringing him on for some you know artistic reason. And uh, so I do think if they're going to go with the spirit of those two films and that's why they brought him on, I could see it being because of a bit of a darkness, but at the same time having that touch of humor to it. Um, and I think he does it well. Cool. It, it, either you're, you either like it or you don't, but for me, it, it works. Nice. Yeah. Krampus is like, I mean, they're both technically they're kind of both anthology movies, although Trick or Treat is much more so than Krampus. Krampus almost makes it seem like everything's related mostly to the the different strings in the story. Yeah. But uh, I mean, the, there was a creepy, creepy story in Krampus where these people went out to cut a Christmas tree down and they lost track of their kid. And when they finally found their kid, they're like, all right, come home. And he's acting super weird. And it was like a little changeling. They accidentally brought the changeling home. And it was good. (laughs) (laughs) It was messed up. And so, uh, I mean, I don't want a Godzilla movie to be messed up. But I definitely trust someone who's got a little more of that horror vibe, but also Mm -hmm. can do the comedy stuff. Yeah, totally. it needs to be funny. Like, I don't need Godzilla to electric boogaloo to be funny i just want it to be good you know that's what i want from all of these movies i want them yeah. to be good yeah i like it. michael schwartz on the chat room says that uh edwards wanted to go make jaws maybe godzilla 2 will be more gremlins i like that idea because i love gremlins <laughs> i love gremlins too i love gremlins and gremlins too there you hey, go hey yeah <laughs> so uh in addition to michael doherty being uh named the director of the film and writing it as well they've also announced one of the cast members you guys know who that is right uh yeah mm-hmm. stranger things right yeah stranger things uh she played 11 in stranger things i'm trying to get her name right now but yeah i mean i'm i'm psyched that that she's in it but i don't really have too much to say about the actors usually before they come on and we know what happened with the last movie and, yeah. and the actress <laughs> they chose for there so we're just gonna let that be as it is. And her name is uh, Millie Bobby Brown. That's the, the actress who's going to be in Godzilla. I'm thinking Mickey Sagusa character, you know, bring that yeah. psychic <laughs> element through to the, from Stranger Things to, uh, to uh, Godzilla 2. Nice. Um, additionally, 
this is something we haven't talked about in person, but I was floored by the news and also legendary related. Thomas Tull has left the position of CEO. Now, if the listeners out there don't know who Thomas Tull is, he's basically the guy who made this whole kaiju boom from legendary happen. Like if it wasn't for Thomas Tull, I don't think Godzilla would have seen been seen through to completion. Pacific Rim probably wouldn't have gotten the budget that it got. Um, he has now been dropped down to producer rank. And I'm not really sure why that is. I heard word, <laughs> word on the street, you guys, word on the mm. street, uh, is that the Chinese, uh, backers who mm-hmm. own most of legendary now <laughs> like mm-hmm. they don't really care for him so hmm. uh, that that does make me actually a little nervous for the future of this american kaiju boom not like i feel like we absolutely have to have kaiju movies come out but you know it's it's cool to have and i don't want thomas toll's influence to be lessened and then we get lesser movies because of that yeah sure yeah uh but moving right along all of these, of course, will have notes in the uh, in the episode posting when we do our show notes, too. Um, King Kong. We got to talk about King Kong a little bit. I'm not a huge fan of King Kong, but I absolutely recognize the importance of the, you know, the character to the genre, right? Without King Kong, yeah. we probably would not have Godzilla. So Kong on Skull Island comes out in March next month, essentially, because this is, you know, the last few days, the very last days of January, 2017. Um, apparently in one of the trailers that's been released, there's a Godzilla Easter egg. Although I haven't seen it because I'm still on my one teaser, one trailer rule. So uh, uh, did, anybody, did you check that out, Clancy? I, I just kind of heard about it. I haven't actually had a moment to stop and look at the trailer yet. Yeah. But well, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I mean, it's one of those things where I'm like, that's cool. So if you're into watching trailers, lots of trailers, check that out and, you know, let me know what you think, listeners, co-hosts, etc. cetera. <laughs> um, also, in addition to another trailer with an Easter egg that links the Kong universe to Godzilla, uh, they have started releasing toys for Skull Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get a whole bunch of these things, but I was, <laughs> I was pretty impressed with the Jack's Pacific sized King Kong figure that is in the same scale as fighting that would be required to fight your Jack's Pacific Godzilla figure. Nice. (laughs) (sighs) Man, I'm looking forward to seeing how they actually bring those universes together and we get our King Kong versus Godzilla eventually. I just want it to be good. Like I said, that's that's sort of my (laughs) sort of my mantra. Please don't suck. Please don't yeah. suck. Please don't yeah. suck. <laughs> Cautiously optimistic is very much where I'm at with it. So Yeah, now, I mean, Brian, you're not too up on American movies right now. I mean, they're not really no. – you're sort of <laughs> sort of down on them, I'm, I would say. I'm pretty down on most movies. So let's <clears throat> – let me ask you from – as a monster fan, not as like a cinephile, mm-hmm. but as a monster fan, what would you want to see in this new King Kong movie that you mm. didn't see – maybe in the Peter Jackson film. And yes, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> the question I didn't ask you beforehand. Well, hmm. Uh, the idea of exploring Skull Island is pretty fascinating. I've always uh, been interested in that aspect of the film. That's, you know, the, that's arguably the cooler part of the film is Skull Island. So that intrigues me. Uh I don't know. I guess uh, some of the, some of my disconnect is uh, it looks a little goofy to me. 
and I don't really resonate with uh, the sense of humor in most movies these days. So the trailer definitely scared me away. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I I thought that I wasn't really interested in this Kong remake or yeah. whatever you'd want to call it until I saw that John C. Riley was in it. And then it made yeah. me think that it was going to be a fun movie, which is what I love in my monster movies. I like sure. it to be fun. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. A scary as hell King Kong film would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Something that made you feel the terror of a gigantic ape running sure. around throwing trees at helicopters and so forth. And like exploring the island as well. There's so much potential there of all the creatures that are on the island. It's there's a lot of potential there. So it'd be interesting if they if because you know, Skull Island as we know it as, you know, movie watchers, mm-hmm. sort of just seems to be like have like a one population right at one point of it. <laughs> and then the, <laughs> yeah. You got to go through that wall. And then once you're through the wall, it's just jungle. Um, I'm not sure what the, I mean, I know they have the bone crawlers or whatever they're called. Skull crawlers. <laughs> yeah. Skull crawlers. But uh, I don't know. Have we seen other dinosaurs in the trailers? I, I don't know. And I'm a trailer. We, we will never know. I think we're, we're all trailer avoiders here. Yeah. So. Someone, someone said, Michael Deke says that there's a giant ox. Oh yeah. I did see that coming out of the water. Yeah. Well, and I, I like, I'm a big fan of John C. Riley. Um, so when I saw him pop up and his bit of humor, I mean, it feels like his type of humor for that character. Um, I mean, I think maybe best case for me for what it would be would be to have like go as far as you can in making Kong ferocious and these other monsters that they're incorporating, but then just have him be that thing that, you know, gives it levity. Yeah. Where it's just like they're running, they're, you know, just that intense film where they're constantly in this state of danger on this island. But then you still get that breath of fresh air where the audience is just kind of like, you know, waiting to breathe. And then he he comes in and that that's what his role is. I mean, I again, you can't really tell from modern. Really, you couldn't probably tell from old trailers either. I think kind of tend to think about the trailers we saw in the past a little differently, mm-hmm. but they still mm-hmm. were designed to sell movies. Yeah. Um, if you actually sit down and watch them again, but, um, but you really don't know what you're going to get. You know, they, they'll cut a trailer for this. That makes the movie look funny. They'll cut a trailer for this. That makes it look right. scary. Oh yeah. 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 You we, know, Lady Kyle actually saw a trailer for, uh, Prometheus that turned it into a love movie. It made it look like a love movie. <laughs> oh, like, weird. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. So <laughs> I'm I'm going to go. She so, was fairly yeah. disgusted by that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I'm excited but at the same time I'm just going to let it happen and see where it, where it falls and I guess the the end result as we've talked about with the people who didn't like Shin Godzilla or people who don't like the legendary pictures movie is the good news is we have so oh, yeah. many movies <laughs> to go back to, even if we don't yes. care for what's happening, in, you know, in the modern day cinema era. And it but will always keep going. It always finds a way to keep going. So Always. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next item just real quick. Uh, we're going to blaze through a couple things here. One, as uh, Clancy, you know, especially when we were in Japan, right at the end of the trip, Universal Studios Japan launched started their next uh big godzilla 4d the real 4d movie experience um i wanted to go down to osaka but it just kind of wasn't really feasible and then 
I, at the same time, it sounded like it was just a movie, but I couldn't really tell. If anybody's interested in seeing what they're doing at Universal Studios Japan for this Godzilla, the real 4D stuff, uh, there's a guy named Jim Pluff who has a Tumblr account, and I will post a link in the show notes to his write-up of what that experience was. Cool. Very nice. I totally That's thought awesome. you had a question for oh, me. <laughs> no, no, I was just re-engaging after looking at the chat room for a little bit. Engage. <laughs> Engage. Uh, yeah, so we'll have a link in the show notes to that. And the only other thing I wanted to talk about really briefly was we in Portland here, some of us in this room actually, went to go see the two Ultraman movies, the double screening that happened, which is the Ultraman X movie and the Ultraman Ginga film. Yeah. So I was there. And Clancy was there. Gretchen was there too. You can yell. Hi. So Gretchen, <laughs> Gretchen's actually here. Big shout out to Gretchen. She's doing our social media stuff for us, helping out where I'm, you know, busy writing show notes and so forth. She's she's the master, uh, the magic behind the social media wonders today. Uh, but yeah, so we went to go see those two Ultraman movies, and it was fun. I'm really glad that we had people you know, that we were sitting with that were also part of our crew. Because yeah. <laughs> at some point, you know, watching these movies dubbed, yeesh, for yeah. one, and two, it just kind of devolves into laughing at the funny parts that are unfortunately <laughs> not always supposed to be funny. <laughs> and uh, and trying to figure out just what the hell is going on on screen, especially if you're not familiar with the show that the movie is from. Yeah, and I... I'm a big fan of the original series, Ultra Q, you know, Ultraman 66, um, and hope to make my way through and I'm working on Ultra 7. But anyway, this was definitely my first time sitting down and actually watching something from and these are both like 2015, 2016, I believe, for both mm -hmm. of these films. Um, so I had no idea what to expect other than I had heard you know, about the toy aspect. And I even have some of these spark dolls on my shelf. <laughs> spark even, dolls. Yeah. Um, and I mean, at the end of the day, it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought I definitely liked Ultraman X better than the second film. Um, which was weird. They showed the earlier film before yeah, the yeah. later film, right? So Ultraman Ginga is the series, I think right before Ultraman X in chronology, right? But they showed it in reverse order, probably because the X movie is better than the yeah. Ginga movie. They didn't want people to have to sit through the Ginga film. That's a you know a snarky thought I had there, <laughs> not not based in reality at all. But I mean, it's you know you're sitting in a theater watching guys in suits battling other guys in suits and mm -hmm. models and whatnot, and you know that was a ton of fun. I. I don't even really like watching Godzilla films dubbed. Mm -hmm. It's just, I prefer to watch it with the Japanese language and kind of get a flavor of the humor. You know, you might not get it at first viewing, but you eventually get the, the humor coming from the actors versus what I think happens with a dub, mm -hmm. especially a bad dub oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where it's like, you can't not laugh through the entire thing because it's, they're trying so hard to match the mouth. Oh man, that was <laughs> like, the worst whose part. Of idea sure, was this? Yeah. Where you have pauses that are going for like multiple seconds at a time just to fit the mouth, and it's like that's so awkward. It it's really, really, really is awkward. <laughs> I mean, it was like if, if if anybody's seen the Gamera versus Giron 
episode of MST3K, right? Yeah, yeah. At the very beginning, you get the scientist uh, explaining where this mysterious planet is. And during – in the dub, right, you hear him talking like this. And if you have to pause in order <laughs> for a word to catch up. That's how they're doing the dub. And like the wow. MST3 gay guys wow. are making fun of it down on the bottom of the screen and it's hilarious. Yeah. So that was the only thing that was going through that my mind <laughs> as we're watching this in the theater. Uh, you know, and I was like, there was a part of me that was like, yeah, let's be respectful of the material at first. But it's, I mean, a dub just automatically cheeses something up mm-hmm. and yeah. a bad dub specifically yeah cheeses it infinitely more so it was a lot of cheese but like i said it was a ton of fun to actually go see in the theater and i was happy to you know support my local monster arts if they did that again you would totally go right oh definitely i mean it yeah it's it's fun just being there and having you know that be offered to you um Plus, there were definitely some other fans. I mean, it wasn't a packed house like some of the things. Like, Shin Godzilla was pretty full. Right, yeah, um, yeah. This was a little looser. Although, we did get hit with a mass amount of snow. Because when we were going to Japan, we were kind of sitting in the airport. Kyle and I going like, oh, man, they're playing Ultraman while we're in Japan. Isn't that – that kind of sucks. And then it got delayed. So, we were able <laughs> to come back and go watch it anyway. Yeah, bonus. Sorry for the snow, Portland. <laughs> <laughs> But I, you know, I'm the the kind of thing, that's what I want to see more of, you know? And I think, again, linking it back to the kaiju boom, I kind of feel like without what we're experiencing with, you know, a big budget Godzilla picture, big budget King Kong picture, Pacific Rim, et cetera, and then what's happening in Japan and has been continuing to happen in Japan with Ultraman and somebody saying like, hey, you know, I should bring that over to the States, you know, that's, I'm all for that. You know, regardless of the bad dub, I want more of that. So, you know, that's don't if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, (laughs) oh, no, these guys are making fun of the dub. Don't let that stop you from either a going to see the movie or, hey, if you're a big wig at one of these companies, don't let that stop you from bringing these movies over to show them in the theater. But, you know, like you were talking about, I watched these these episodes for Ultraman X all subtitled and then. Watching them up on screen, talking in these weird, unrelated yeah. voices badly, and uh, really trying to wrap my brain around why the scientist chick sounds the way she does. And I was like, yeah, there's just no way you can do the ultra kawaii kind of voice and still have it work in English. So, I mean, regardless of the dub itself, it was so much fun to do, and hopefully – Hopefully, we'll get more of those in the future. If not Ultraman, yeah. maybe some cool stuff coming down the pipe with Godzilla or his rubber-suited foes. Yeah. Well, and just I will say, you know, again, again, not, the dub was, a, to me, a problem. But at the same time, like I said, I did enjoy the the action itself. Um, these newer shows are definitely a little more fast-paced than I'm used to. You know, I... I think modern day younger kids might actually sit there and go, you mean I got to wait till the end of the episode to see Ultraman in yeah. the 1960s shows. And to me, that's, I'll watch the science patrol patrol up and down. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's some of my favorite stuff about that show. So yeah. it's definitely a lot more fast paced than your, I think older fans would probably be used to. But I mean, we, I grew up in the eighties. We were getting stuff very influenced by Japan 
when I was a kid here and I loved it. So if they can bring this stuff over and kids today in America are getting into it and what they're into is a faster paced show, you know, I think that's awesome. So I, I definitely recommend anybody that can to at least check it out because it might be their thing. Yep. Awesome. Well, I think what we're going to do is we're going to connect with our first guests. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Kaiju cast, if everything is working, Kyle Bird and Matt Parmley from the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Hello. Whoa. Hey, how's it going? Good. All right. So this we is got- Kyle Bird. The other one is Matt. Yeah, so hey so we'll be calling you Bird because <laughs> you know that seems to that seems to be what stuck. So. Yeah, well, it's, I like that. I like that you're called Bird, or you call yourself Bird. You go by Bird because it just kind of like makes things a little less complicated when we're talking about podcasters oh, yeah, yeah. here in the kaiju I'm genre. The other, I'm the other Kyle that podcasts about Godzilla and <laughs> listens to the Melvins. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. So, uh, welcome to the Kaiju Cast, guys. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. This is one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. Uh, and I, I have another podcast called If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It, which is more general <laughs> movie and genre stuff. And when I started that, I remember reaching out to you uh, for a couple a couple tips. So, here we are. It's full circle. So, do me a favor and uh, tell us a little bit about that podcast, Bird. The, the If It Bleeds podcast. Uh, oh, If It Bleeds started out of a couple friends of mine wanted to like start up their own like pop culture blog called Culture Wedge, and that didn't really go anywhere. But uh, the podcast with myself and my friend Trevor, uh, what we always wanted to do a podcast, and we said, well, that's a perfect opportunity for us to do that, and we still do it. And, um, you know, it's mostly um, – uh, in the it's it, it stays in the nerd realm, um, but you know it's just general movie news and reviews. But um, you know uh, we're both big superhero fans, so we'll talk a lot of Marvel, DC. We're both huge, huge horror movie fans, so we do a lot of horror talk, especially in the months of October. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just a you know general science fiction and and horror is our main bread and butter. But we go over you know we'll start an episode about like what movies we've seen lately and. Um, we, we kind of like to do themed episodes. Uh, so like when Dr. Strange came out, we did, we talked about the new Dr. Strange movie, but we also talked about like the horrible made for TV one from the seventies and <laughs> yeah. uh, the Charles band awesome. rip off, uh, uh, Dr. Mordred starring Jeffrey Combs. So awesome. So yeah, we, we, yeah, it's, it's just a, a nerd podcast, I would call it. And then what made you decide to want to branch out into, giant monster talk uh well as a separate podcast specifically oh well well um i mean my co-host trev he's kind of a casual godzilla fan you know when he was younger he would he got g fans and the trend masters toys and uh i'm sure some people have had this experience but you know when he started to dip into the fandom he was a little it was a little too intense for him so he'll talk about godzilla with me but you know his interest is his attention span to it is like five minutes um, and then another friend of ours, uh, who hosted a podcast called second run, him and Matt were talking about doing a, a kaiju podcast. And, uh, cause it, I, I guess Matt was the one that really always wanted to do a, a Godzilla podcast. And so they started talking and then they brought me in. Um, and then that version of it kind of, uh, didn't, didn't quite work out. And then 
Matt and I said, well, let's let's revisit this in a little bit. And um, and I, and I told Matt, well, if if you want me to if you want to do this, I really want to do it as something different because there's your podcast and then there's see, over the last couple of years, a lot of other kaiju podcasts have kind of popped up. And I was I I, I want it to be different. So um, really, there there's two things I told him I wanted to do. I said, well, I don't think we should do like a movie per episode. We might do it every now and then. But generally, kind of going back to what I do on If It Bleeds, I want to do like uh, things that are thematically similar or maybe things that are in like the same series or whatever. Um, and then I also said, let's not limit it just to Godzilla, Gamera, et cetera. Um, in fact, let's not just limit to Japan. Let's let's talk about other things that are relating to giant monsters or Japanese science fiction or horror. Um, as Kyle, as, as I, I'm sure you just found out recently, and you've talked about before, and the cameras, and maybe a little bit of Ultraman. You really don't have very much left, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. you know that's also yeah. So that's something I've also liked that you're doing now is talking about stuff like the host or Troll Hunter, and I mean it might not be necessarily Japanese, it might not necessarily be quote unquote kaiju, but. It's all kind of in the same wheelhouse, and it's stuff that I think if you're a Godzilla fan, you owe it to yourself to broaden your horizons a little bit and check out other things. Like, that's the thing. That's my whole thing is, you know, kaiju fans can be very stubborn. There's certain fans that don't want to go outside Godzilla. Like, they won't even watch something like War of the Gargantuas. True, then there's true. stuff, people, yeah. Then there's people that don't want to go outside of Toho. They don't want to go into the TV stuff, like the Ultraman stuff. So, some of them don't even want to go outside of Japan. So, I mean, what are they missing out on? They're missing out on, you know, Ray Harryhausen. They're missing out on Pacific Rim. And, you know, so it's also kind of my attempt to cover things that other th other podcasts might not do. Like, we'll, we'll be covering some Power Rangers stuff. And, you know, I mean, we're not the biggest fans in the world, but, I mean, why not? You know, it's all in the same... They, there's a DNA that all this stuff shares that I think kind of gets overlooked by a lot of people. I agree. I agree. And I, I'm glad you guys are covering that stuff too. I mean, it makes, I, I think I told you guys this the other day, like when we were talking, uh, sort of testing the, the connections, I, I'm so happy that there are so many more people doing Kaiju podcasts around. Like there was a very limited amount of time where I was doing the show and I was able to actually say like the only Godzilla <laughs> podcast, but I mean, that that's never something that I wanted to be. I, I think if I had the time to listen to them all, I would listen to all of the Godzilla podcasts out there because I am an obsessive nerd about this stuff. Uh, so, Matt, how about you, dude? How how uh, has the experience been working with Bird on these episodes of Kaiju Transmissions? Great. I mean, um, yeah, like like he said, we I've always wanted to do a podcast, but I had no knowledge on how to even get started. So. Bird and I go way back to the uh, Monster Zero forum days, which is still around. Um, but I, I knew him from there. We've been on Facebook for a couple years. And I just kind of approached him and said, hey, I would like to do this. But I have no idea where to start. And I knew that he had been doing uh, podcasting. Bird, how long has your podcast been around? Like six years now? Is that, is uh, that Probably about about six, yeah. Five or six years. So I, I knew that he had been doing it for a while. And uh, uh, 
but obviously shared a passion for Godzilla, and we we both kind of battered some ideas uh, around, and we 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 agreed to a general vision for what the show should be, um, and then I, I kind of let him run with the, the technical um, idea for the show, and then he does a lot of the editing, and I try and fail usually about pushing all the social media and stuff and promoting it. Um, but he, the thing that I like about Bird and working with him is that he knew exactly what he wanted to do based on his experience and what had worked and what had not worked uh, with If It Bleeds. And so I just kind of relied on that and, and trusted him. And, and the cool thing is um, there's a lot of give and take. I mean, like we both share ideas. We both are very flexible in those ideas. And so far we've been recording, I think, since um, June. So we're, we're over, you know, six months now. And uh, things are going strong. We got a lot of cool stuff coming up and, and I'm ready to, to keep pressing forward. I think I saw your podcast sort of come up on my radar and I was like, I got to check that out. Um, but it was, it, I think it wasn't until someone, I think it was Jeff Horn actually posted about the, your politics of Shin Godzilla episode. And it was right mm. after I had, um, it was right after we had done our stupid three hour long show about Shin Godzilla. <laughs> and I was like, Ooh, I hope these guys are diving into, like stuff we didn't get into because I was really interested in, I mean, le- legitimately interested in the politics of Shin Godzilla. So I was super psyched to listen to that episode where uh, you guys really broke it down with, was it Chris? Yeah. Our friend yeah. Chris, he's a, uh, he also does our theme song. He's got a, he's been playing music forever, been in and out of a lot of bands. He, he, he did some work with the band Daikaiju, like surf rock band. Oh, right on. Um, yeah, but he's got his own little one-man musical project called Cosmic Monster, who've been around forever. Um, but I'd known him from way back, uh, and I asked him to do our theme song, and that's the song that you hear. That That's the new – because you guys just added that recently, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say we, uh, we've we probably used it about three times now. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, that's – I love it uh, when you know somebody that can write you a theme song. <laughs> I speak from experience. So uh, what's what's coming up for you guys? What do you guys have on the horizon? Well, as I'm sure some people may or may, may not know, well, everyone knows, especially because you guys just talked about it for like 20 minutes. There's a new King Kong movie coming out, and it is set in the Godzilla universe. So uh, we, we just now went bi-weekly. We were weekly, but to just kind of slow things down and not uh, run out of gas, we went bi-weekly, but... Be weekly, um, and through the month of March, uh, we'll have a different kind of King Kong themed episode every week, um, and then uh, f that'll you know culminate in our review of Skull Island, uh, which then we'll do. I think we have like two Power Rangers themed episodes to kind of lead into that, and then we'll probably be bi-weekly again. Uh, and um, we have uh, some really good ideas that I won't say yet for Mother's Day and April Fool's Day. Um, also, <laughs> uh, Tiger Tiger just asked me today if if I had any April Fool's plans for the Kaiju cast, and I've always like entertained the idea of an April's Fool prank, but mm-hmm. I just, I remember back to the and Bird and Matt, you guys probably remember this stuff too. When people would post the fake um, Godzilla Final Wars stuff, and then everybody oh, would lose yeah. their minds, Gosh, thinking yeah. it was real. And then we'd find out like a week later that it was total BS. And I'm like, ah! I feel like that was going on for months. Yeah, it yeah. was. People still <laughs> believed it months later. I remember we were, that. We were getting trolled hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and oh, and really quick. Uh, 
we just put up a big epic two-part interview with Norman England where he talks about, I mean, what doesn't he talk about? But, um, I mean, he's the only foreigner that's spent, you know, over 100 days working on Godzilla sets and subtitling movies. Uh, he talks to us a little about, like, he did a little bit of translation work on the Godzilla anime movie coming out. Yeah, he said um, he was working on the Bible. Didn't say that. too much, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. You guys did a great um, interview with him. I can't yeah. wait to listen to uh, part two. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, uh, part one is more Godzilla and um, kaiju-related stuff, including, you know, the reactions to Shin Godzilla and everything over there. Uh, then part two is more, you know, what other Japanese science fiction and uh, horror stuff he's worked on, like working with Takashi Miike, who is one of my favorite directors. I don't know if anyone listening is familiar, but they should be. Um, I mean, I, I he's talking about because he's also a movie critic. Assassins. That was a fantastic. Oh, yeah. Movie. Yeah. Oh, for sure. See Adderman if you haven't seen the Adderman. That movie's incredible. Yeah. How about, Zebra how about Man? Zebra Man is amazing. Yeah. I haven't seen the sequel to Zebra Man, though. <laughs> the sequel is nothing like the first one. Okay. Like, if you think it, it's not even. I can't, it cannot be expressed in words how different they are. Oh, all right. Okay. Have you seen Yakuza Apocalypse? Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, I have. <laughs> Norman was the English uh, dialogue coach on that movie, and he's he talks a lot about that in our, our second part. Yeah, I remember seeing photos of like from the set of Yakuza Apocalypse uh, from Norman, and I was just like, "Dude, I have to see this movie." And it is—that's an insane movie. That's like another one of those crazy, crazy Japanese films. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, that we're—that was the first time I've like really interviewed anyone on a podcast, like had anyone that's not like one of my friends on, and. You know, he Skyped us all the way from Japan, and, uh, I mean, we talked for something like, I mean, uh, the two podcasts, you have maybe three and a half hours together, but we talked to him for a good six hours. Yeah. Very cool guy. Yeah. It's easy to do with Norman. He, I mean, he's, like you said, he's really great at stories, and so listening to what he has to say about his time in Japan and his time on the movie sets is just fascinating. Yeah. And he had a lot of a lot of insights about just like what it, I mean, because he's a, a movie critic, too. I mean, like just being an American working in the Japanese film industry, you know, there's a lot of a perspective that, you know, he shares that's really interesting and insightful. So uh, another thing I wanted to talk about with you guys is the current ranking system that you guys are doing. Matt, you want to tell the listeners yeah, this, a little bit about that? This is Matt's baby. So take it away. <laughs> So, so basically, uh, there's a link that you can get on our Facebook page um, where we're ranking all of the Godzilla films, including the two American films, and it asks you uh, which two films you it, – it, for example, it'll say, do you like Godzilla 1954 or do you like Godzilla Raids Again better? And you, you pick one, and then it'll go to the next question. It'll ask you to rank uh, Mothra versus Godzilla or King Kong versus Godzilla better, and you do that through the entire list – of, of the films and when you get done with the entire list basically it creates a uh, a list of your rankings for the entire series and the reason we're doing this is because we wanted to see how say shin godzilla was ranked by basically the fandom um and i also want to see like how legendary was was ranking you know it's been out for a couple years now um and i wanted to even see like how something like godzilla final wars like so many people hate that movie, and I want to see if that was still the case in comparison to some of the newer stuff that had just come out. Um, 
it's kind of just a little fun thing to that we're doing so we can discuss on the podcast. And we're also asking people that if they're comfortable with it to put in their age. So one of the things that we always hear is that, the, you know, younger Godzilla fans do not like the older Godzilla movies. You know, I wanted to see if we could prove that through data, if it was actually true or not. So that's basically what the project is about. I've been posting to pretty much every social media platform that we're a part of. So if you haven't taken this, um, it's pretty easy. You go to our Facebook page, you click the link, you follow the preference revealer. It basically asks you to rank the series, and then you then post your results. Uh, pretty straightforward stuff, and we would love to, to be – and we're, we're going to discuss this on our podcast. And then we're actually going to post everyone's results after the podcast. So you'll be able to see it as opposed to just listening to us uh, talking about it. But you can, you'll be able to do both. All right. So uh, I thought that would be a perfect opportunity for us to open a, a little bit of discussion here. Top three, right? What would you consider to be your top three kaiju? Are you guys are doing just Godzilla or are you doing all kaiju? It, it's just the Godzilla series. Okay, so top three Godzilla movies, Brian. Wow. Well, I have to say right off the top of the bat that <clears throat> my top three would have War of the Gargantuas in there. So that's, uh, that's but, a big oversight for me for not having that one in there. But if I was to take that out, I usually go with uh, Monster Zero at my top. Booyah. Yeah, okay. I, know. I know that's a popular opinion around here, but it's right. <laughs> it's, Especially across the desk, my friend. It's just right. Uh, <laughs> and then I think I probably agree with a lot of people when I say that GMK would be my number two Godzilla movie. All right. And then uh, I think my number three, just off the top of my head here, I would probably go with like Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 74. I go back to that one all the time, so... Right on, right on. So you got two Showa and one Millennium through there. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good variety, I say. Okay, so Rachel, you, yeah, mm. you, you know what? You actually sort of hold an interesting position as a Godzilla fan because you didn't grow up with these movies. You didn't love these movies as a kid, right? Yeah. So, or even as a teen, right? Right. Like, yeah. No, I had never seen any of them other than the '98 um, until so your, your I. Criteria. Yeah. Is going to be way way different than like Brian's criteria or my criteria. I think. I I think you're right, and I think I have a pretty specific criteria when it comes to it, but that the listeners will not be surprised by, um, in some regards. But I, I think. Um, Godzilla I'll versus just, Pigmon. I know. I wish. Oh my gosh, it'd be amazing. But they'd be friends. That's sure, the thing. Right, it wouldn't right, be right. versus. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I'm gonna go. My first one, I'd say, is just the original uh, Gojira of '54. I think that one's just fantastic, and I love the horror element to it, keeping it dark, and I just love that every time I watch that movie. It's so good. Um, and then Godzilla X Mecha Godzilla, um, of 2002. Nice, nice. Um, and I know I talked about that at length when we did the Daikaiju discussion, but I just love the characters in that movie so much. Um, and then, uh, this one, the third one is not a popular opinion, um, but I love Godzilla versus King Ghidra of 91. Um, and for, an obvious reason I love the Doras. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's all about the criteria. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so so that yeah, I'd say those are my top favorites. But it was hard it is hard to narrow it down because there's several that I just really like, but the, those ones are ones I go back to a lot. Right, right. Okay. So yeah. Clancy, what about you, man? 
top uh, three, if you could say just Godzilla movies. Yeah, I usually go with um, Mothra versus Godzilla in 1964 as my uh, top slot, and it doesn't really change that often. Um, love Godzilla and Mothra and the whole story within that. Um, everything from just Godzilla's appearance in that film. His suit is my favorite of the early suits. Um, then I go to Godzilla versus Biollante. A big part of that goes to Biollante. Um, I mean, Godzilla is awesome in that film, but I'm a big fan of plant-based type monsters. And, you know, obviously that film has it. Clearly, yes. <laughs> and then my my number three slot, that's one of those ones where I kind of pop movies in and out of that one. There's so many movies like um, that could be in there. But the thing that I love about Godzilla films is kind of the same thing that I love about an artist like Frank Zappa. There's a long period of time that they've been making these films and they're broken up into these like eras and types. Um, so the, even though this probably isn't always a popular answer, I went with uh, Godzilla versus Hedera and mostly because to me that movie represents like when Godzilla will just do something, the f- Godzilla as a franchise will just take a chance and do something strange. I mean, I love the mm-hmm. film, but I think that one represents it best when you're just like, check this out, man. This mm-hmm. is a cool mm-hmm. little weird entry in this series. Um, and I dig it. Nice. Matt, what are your top three of it? You know, at least right now, because I think I mentioned to you that that's an, it's an organic list as far as I'm concerned. It changes, you know, I don't want to say regularly, but it changes every so often when I appreciate something a little bit more in a movie than I had in the past. So do you have the same top three that you had like, you know, 10 years ago? No, my mind's changed quite a bit. Um, so I'm going to cheat a little bit because normally I don't ever rank the 54 film in my list because I feel like it's kind of its own thing. Um, so like I would put for this, I would put the 54 film as number one. If I were to do it normally, I would say Monster Zero, Biolante, and then Terra Mecha Godzilla. But if we were just doing it for top three now, I'd say 54, uh, Monster Zero, and then Beyond today. Because the, the 54 film is just kind of timeless, and I don't think anything is ever going to really change that. It's so hard to like include that compared to the rest of the series because it's just so different, I think. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. What about you, Kyle? Yeah. Or Bird, excuse me. Uh- uh, mine, uh, my top 10 really doesn't change much, but, uh, the top three for me would be 54 Godzilla versus the thing and monster zero cliche, but you know, those are the, the ones that I think are the best. My top 10 is really almost all Showa, except I think Biolante is the only one in there. Um, that's not from, you know, the fifties through, uh, seventies. Um, but everything below that is pretty fluid, is pretty fluid. Like I was surprised when I did it, how high the legendary movie ranked, which it, like it was like right in the middle. And I was surprised that, uh, um, the two Tezuka Mechagodzilla movies really over the years have climbed up for me as well. So like, uh, like you, I think, you know, it, it's almost like what, what 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 time of day are you asking me? Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> when when are my favorite movies my favorite movies? Correct. Right. Right on. Um, I think it's no surprise to the listeners that I would probably rank Monster Zero and GMK at the number one and the number two spots. Um, for number three, I actually, you know, I have been going back to the Tezuka films quite a bit when I just sort of like sit down 
and watch something with the I don't want to say the new appreciation that I have for Japanese culture, but as I get older and as I experience Japan more, my the the stance that I take when I'm viewing these movies changes quite a bit. And the last time I put on Tokyo SOS, I was way more impressed with the overall production from everything from plot, story, uh, effects, and editing. Like I just and the music too. I mean, it sort of hits on all of those points that I like from a Showa era movie, but mm-hmm. you know, modernizes it. So I, I think right at this particular moment, I'm going to claim Tokyo SOS as number three for me. All right. I agree. That, that's the best looking movie that, that he did. I mean, especially if you look just a couple years before he did Mega Gears, which I don't, I'm not sure how the room feels, but that's that movie does not look, it's not the best looking movie. But it then ha- it has some visual problems. So up, yeah. And, yeah it, like, I mean, just that opening scene with Mothra flying next to the plane, like it's, it's gorgeous. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, how long are you guys going to have this, this ranking poll up? Uh, well, you know, we're just starting, so we're still a pretty small podcast. So like we, we don't, we're, we're just kind of waiting till we finally get a lot of results. Um, <laughs> I I think we Matt, how many do we have right now? We're actually sitting at like fifty five results. I, I was hoping to get, I don't know, a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> something least. like that. Um so I mean I, I think probably uh probably mid fe- mid to late February we'll probably cut it off. But you know, we want more people to do it as Yeah, is so all point. the listeners out there, get on your computers when we post this update, this uh episode. And then check it out and see where you feel that those Godzilla movies belong. Looks yeah. like a and lot of people want starting, a link so to it. Obviously, I'm going to say so. But, <laughs> like, check out, check us out. I swear you won't be disappointed. Oh, yeah. From, I mean, I hope. In terms of the podcast, <laughs> I think you guys do a really great job. I love how you are um, diving more into sort of like the inspirations of these films and where they not where they rank. I mean, obviously you're going to do that as well, but like in the, in the actual conversations that you have, you're talking about aspects of these movies that I feel like not a lot of people have talked about in an audio format. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's kind of touching on something that, uh, that Norman did in his documentary, bringing Godzilla down to size is really like just discussing like who were the creators of these movies as people what why did they make this movie the way they did and i mean it's no offense to the the fandom or anything but a lot of the times i mean how often do we just get wrapped up in you know what toys you just bought or oh what monster would beat this monster you know it's odd that a fandom that's this uh obsessed with the merchandise that came out of these movies you don't see much actual discourse about the films or the filmmakers. And that's kind of, you know, kind of just we want to bring a little bit more of that to the table. I mean, there's guys like uh, us and you and the other podcasts out there. But, you know, I mean, I'm just talking just, you know, looking at all the Facebook groups and stuff like that. Like, uh, I mean, everyone knows that Shiro Honda was a pacifist. What made him a pacifist? You know, I mean, that's the kind of meat and potatoes that I really want to kind of dive in and and talk about well i think you guys are definitely off to a fantastic start and i really hope that the listeners who are listening to the emergency broadcast check you out and if they you know if they don't 
they have to talk to me later, I guess. But the the <laughs> I, I also want them all to go and rank their Godzilla films, so you guys get the most amount of data you can in the amount of time that you guys have. So please, listeners, help out the Kaiju Transmissions podcast, my friends at the Kaiju Transmissions yeah. podcast, and make sure that you know when you you uh, go out there and you subscribe to their podcast, tell them that the Kaiju Cast sent you. <laughs> Bird and Matt, thank you guys so much for joining us for the emergency broadcast. It was a really blast to have you guys on the show, and uh, I yeah, can't wait to see us. what comes down the pipe for you guys in the future. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure, and uh, we'll have to sync up and do something else at some point. Absolutely. Some sort of like podcast invasion. I can feel it happening. It's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. All right, well, thank I, you guys. I think this yeah, is going to be you. it, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, and there you go. That's the Kaiju Transmissions podcast, Bird and Matt. Seriously, I really like what they're doing out there, and um, I like to have podcasters on the emergency broadcast because I like to spread the love. Uh, not that I have all the love to give, but I just really think that more people should know that there are podcasts out there that talk about giant monsters, and if you're mm-hmm. not getting everything you need from the Kaiju cast, maybe you should get it from the Kaiju Transmissions podcast or one of the other amazing podcasts out there. Definitely. Uh, all right, so you know what it's time to do, you guys? It's time for a giveaway! <laughs> Hopefully the uh, chat room is ready for giveaway awesomeness. And uh, if they are not, they need to get ready because I believe our first question is going to be asked by Rachel. All right. So uh, I got to keep an eye on the chat room while also reading my question. Yeah. So actually, let's, <laughs> let's, let's actually go over this before you ask the question. Let's mm-hmm. actually go over this really quick. So uh, in order to do this, <laughs> one, you can only win a prize once. So you can't – if you win a prize, like somebody gets giveaway prize pack number one, mm-hmm. you don't get the ability to answer in number two or number three or number four or number five. Yes. One correct. winner per per emergency broadcast essentially so the other thing is it's a trivia question all of our giveaways are trivia questions this time and they are purely answered in the chat so the first person that gets it right in the chat that is who will win of course now here's what's in prize pack number one we have a uh shin godzilla mini poster a some uh, Ultraman Chirashi, which are like little flyers from Japan. A Kaiju Cast versus Kodoja postcard. A Godzilla sticker. Two Godzilla postcards. Mothra sticker pack. A Godzilla magnet. A Colossal Kaiju Combat card pack. The Giant God Warrior Descends Upon Tokyo book that came. This is this is. An incredible book. You remember what Yuji gave us with the. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So we got these books and they came. It's like a book for the Tokusatsu Museum. And this is a small book that was attached to it that is for the entire. It's like behind the scenes of the giant god warrior descends on nice. Tokyo. And I don't have the title up in front of me. So if I'm messing that title up, hey, <laughs> that's a live show. So, uh, so that book is in there. We have the Yure book by Zach Davison. A Gyra Hot Rod sticker by Monster Fink. A Godzilla button from the Godzilla store. Some of this stuff is from the Godzilla store that I went to in Japan. I brought a bunch of stuff back from this last trip that we went on to give away on the show. Uh, there's some Godzilla Chirashi. There is each 
uh, each prize pack comes with a DNA newspaper, which is from this DNA exhibit that happened in, uh, in Japan, which was amazing, filled with props, totally cool. Uh, just like a little giveaway from that. Uh, also, this prize pack number one comes with a loose Revoltec Mogera from the Mysterians, a Bandai America King Cesar, and a Ragon figure. So there you nice. go. That's what you're competing for. And now that I've exhausted your ear holes, it's time for Rachel to take over. And finally... Ask her a question. Okay. I love that everybody just started putting Pigmon on the chat page as soon as it was announced. It was my question. Uh, not the answer to the question. So just FYI. Uh, um, okay. In Ultraman, in the Lawless Monster Zone episode, which Science Patrol member shoots Pigmon with the pink balloon tracking device? There you go. There's the question. We're looking for the first correct answer. Ah, Patrick Coakley got it. All right. Way to go, Patrick. It is Ito. Congratulations. <laughs> so you would have uh, you would have accepted Ito, mm-hmm. Ide, and Masahare Nihei. Is that right? I can't remember how to say um, his name. But yeah, see. you got it right, Patrick. Yeah, that's, that's right. Big, big <laughs> surprise that Patrick Coakley is in here and competing. He wins, I swear, like every year. He's like, <laughs> and he's quick too, super fast. Yeah, good typist. But now good that job. he's won the first prize pack, he's ineligible for the rest of the prize pack. So there you go, listeners. Mm-hmm. And, and Congratulations. All, the rest of them are so much better than that one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, what do we have to do anything else for the uh, – for the next, for this prize pack? Oh, yeah, I got to say, obviously, Patrick, you need to email controller at kaijucast.com with the subject prize pack number one with your address. And, uh, yeah, we should be able to get that out to you. Just make a fake account with a different mailbox. And T-shirt size? And oh, yes, thank you, thank you. Also, Patrick, uh, what is your T-shirt size? That's the other question for you there. Because we've also got some cool T-shirts that we're giving away, which may be um, like sort of like a Kaiju Cast hand-me-down situation. So I'm getting rid of a lot of T-shirts because I had so many that I just could not. Uh... He's an XL. Oh, sweet. I think you'll be – I think we have some for you, man. We have something. Anyway, uh, it is time for me to get connected with my next group of people. So, Well, uh, we brought up the Tezuka – Mecha Godzilla movies recently uh, here just now. And I saw, I watched the 2002 one recently and they have really held up so well. I think they've aged so well since I first saw them. Yeah. They're It's good stuff. I, uh, I, I love, I, I really, I, I think I first saw the um, newer Mecha Godzillas versus the older ones. And sorry, I'm not listening to the years here, but you guys know sure, what I mean. Yeah. Um, and that was I, your, your first Mechagodzilla was the, the newer, that the newest one, I guess. Yeah, totally. Kiryu. So, um, so I have a special place in my heart for the Kiryu Mechagodzilla, whereas Brian, I think, prefers the the, the design oh, of the yeah. 70s one for sure and yeah, yeah and uh, to me he looks a little clunky but that's uh, just my opinion uh, i think he's cool yes. i love robots you're, but you're i know i'm going to get a lot of hate mail now but um <laughs> but i do i i love kiryu and i think that he's a really cool design what's your mm-hmm. favorite clancy 
uh, I'm always going to lean towards the older films um, just because I love those designs. Yeah. Um, but I do, I am a big fan of Kiryu in the last two, well, the last two Godzilla films that happened before Final Wars. We'll just yeah. leave it at that. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I, but I do, I, I always go to the seventies when it comes to, if you're just going to go favorite, quick answer that's right. what i'm always going to go with um i mean style alone i just think that stuff is so cool oh, yeah. um and then when it comes to to i mean when it comes to toys honestly i have from both sides of it um but i just love those old toys oh, yeah. they just look so cool to me <laughs> yeah when i was a kid the 70s one appealed to me so much because of the the ape aliens that was such an awesome aspect <laughs> yeah. to it oh man that yeah was so cool in addition to Mechagodzilla, just as in the 70s one is the coolest looking thing ever. So, All right. So I think we are ready to connect to our next guests. Please welcome to the podcast. Actually, welcome back to the podcast because both Steve and Ed have been on the show before. <laughs> Steve Rifle and Ed Gojicheski, who are collaborating on a book that should be out this year called Ishiro Honda, A Life in Film. From Godzilla to Kurosawa. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Kaiju Cast. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah, how's it going, guys? How are you? Yeah, Very good. I'm doing well. I just wanted to uh, introduce you guys a little bit. Now, Ed, uh, I've known you for several years. Actually, funny story. Ed, the way I met Ed is because when I went to G-Fest in 1999, someone took video footage of my son, I didn't do it, winning the costume contest as Baby Gear on. <laughs> and Ed was the guy I reached out to because I think he said, no, he probably said on the forum or something like that, like, I have video of that. And so he hooked me up with the video. <coughs> and on that video, there was, like, it was the G-Fest costume contest. And then I want to say right after it, he put on all this footage of him walking through the Toho prop vaults and like checking out all these items. And as a young adult who was not very versed in the Godzilla universe, I was like completely blown away. And I was like, wait a minute, what is, what is happening here? How is this all even possible? So Ed, uh, welcome back. Thank you. And Steve Rifle was on. We talked a little bit about the commentaries and uh, his book that he's written previously, Japan's favorite monster, an unauthorized biography of the Big G, and uh, he, how long ago? Uh, how, long how long ago was that? That yeah, that was at uh, Monster Palooza a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, that was several years ago. I want to say that was probably 2012 or 2013, man. So it's wow. been it's okay. been too long. Too long is the answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, so okay. welcome back, you guys. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, I remember when you had me uh, on previously, uh, that was right in the middle of uh, writing the the book. So, yeah. So we've come a long way since then, and uh, we're pleased to say that it's coming out this year. Actually, we don't have a, a firm publication date yet, but it, uh, we hope to have one within the next few weeks. Fantastic. So uh, tell me a little bit about how this project came about. How it came about, I'll, I'll let Ed tell that story, if he doesn't mind. Well, well when uh, Steve and I were in Japan back in 2007, uh, shooting footage for the documentary that film that we made, Bringing Godzilla Down to Size, uh, we were at uh, Akira Tsuburaya's office uh, filming him. And Steve and I are just kind of sitting in the background at some of the desks, 
uh, waiting <clears throat> for the you know the interview to conclude. And you know while while we're watching the uh, him answer the questions, you know the door opens and into the office walks this guy, and he kind of sits down next to us. And you know I don't know if Steve thought this at the same time, but I thought, well, gee, I wonder who this guy is. He looks kind of familiar. He, he definitely looked familiar. And one thing I'll add to one little detail I'll add here is that um, when these interviews were being shot, Ed and I were kind of like we had a, a onset producer and translator who was actually conducting the interview for us. And so we kind of sat off to the side. And one thing that was a little frustrating is in this office, nobody seemed to. Uh, be paying attention to the fact that we were shooting a movie so people were coming and going and making all kinds of they were making noise and they were slamming their drawers on their desk and they were talking but the, this person who came in in the door who kind of made us like wonder like he looks familiar this guy was really conscientious and he saw the movie was being made and he tiptoed over to his desk and he was very uh, quiet about turning on his computer and everything anyway go ahead sorry yeah. So anyway, so yeah, he kind of sat down next to us, and uh, uh, when Akira was finally done with his interview, um, then I guess he he said to uh, our translator that uh, you might want to talk to this guy also, and uh, that's when he said, "Well, yeah, this is Honda's son." And of course, then you know, once once he said that, then obvious it became obvious to Steve and I who he actually was, and of course, right away we arranged to to get a, a you know. Even though it was unplanned, we got a few minutes of him, uh, you know, some footage of him for the documentary film, which was nice. And then afterwards, we started talking to him, and you know, he he had fairly fairly good English because I guess he had spent a lot of time in America, uh, working back in the the nineties. And uh, one of the things that uh, he kind of brought up was that he was looking for someone uh, to. Who, who might uh, be interested in writing a book about his father. And, of course, Steve and I had actually, you know, a couple of times talked about doing something along those lines. And so, you know, it, it actually just couldn't have, you know, fate couldn't have worked out any better that uh, through the two of us together at the time that we were both thinking about doing the same kind of thing. And what also helped was that uh, Ryuji, uh, uh, Ishiro's son, who we were talking to, he also, you know, happened to make a point that he was hoping for the book to be written by, you know, uh, some Westerners because uh, he was looking for a different viewpoint than is typical that you know, is gotten in the, all the books that are published in Japan. And certainly, if at least on that account, we're uh, we're right there. We're uh, we, we fit the bill. So that was kind of like the start of the uh, the project, and uh, that was the genesis. And uh, things developed from there. Took us maybe ten years to get it out, but uh, finally it's going to be coming out. Yeah, one, he he also I remember he one of his his thoughts was that he really felt like uh, that his father or at least his father's films were more popular and uh, more well appreciated in America and in the West than they were in Japan, and and that was another reason why I think he felt I think he felt like maybe his father hadn't gotten a fair shake. Uh, in Japan, as far as you know, the way his films had been covered, and for whatever reason, I mean, in talking to him, uh, apparently it became clear to him that we were, you know, very much uh, fans as well as, uh, you know, quote unquote scholars of the films, people who would do uh, to do them justice as far as doing, you know, conducting 
deep uh, research into them and trying to tell the story, uh, you know, both seriously and appreciatively. So he, um, you know, it didn't all come together immediately, but he definitely uh, was the catalyst for us, and he opened a lot of doors. And um, and then, you know, the the next one of the next things that happened was his, as Ed said, he, uh, Ryuji lived in the United States. Uh, for a number of years, he was a documentary filmmaker. Uh, he worked for uh, NHK and then I think possibly also independently. But anyway, he was based out of New York and he would shoot programs for Japanese television about basically about life in America, uh, segments and programs and other content. And he was based out of um, New York area. I think he lived in Queens for quite a, a number of years. And um, so his daughter who is uh, not too many years younger than us, uh, was raised for a good part of her life in the United States. And in fact, she had um, she was living there and, and is living here now. And she, we were introduced to her, and she became like our, basically like the third co-writer on the project in a lot of ways. Uh, even though she didn't actually write the manuscript, she participated uh, in a lot of our brainstorming sessions and uh, she was a, a really an ally and an advocate for what we were doing so we are really fortunate in that regard because she you know the hondas opened doors for us but i think without her we probably couldn't even have done it or if if we had done it it would have been a lot less than what it is i mean wouldn't you agree right yeah one of the things that uh, yuko did help us with tremendously is to get access to all of uh, Honda's non-science fiction films. All we got basically got to see all of them except one. And not only did uh, we get a chance to see these films, but you know, of course, they're all in Japanese without subtitles. And she helped uh, a great deal in in uh, getting us to understand and in some cases translating full sequences out of these films just so that we could, you know, watch them and appreciate them a little better than just you know visually and then trying to divine what people are saying because you know they these kind of films are are really based more on an understanding of the language and so without her help uh we really couldn't have done even half of what we uh, were able to accomplish uh regarding uh honda's non-science fiction films that's right and and it should be we should say that she grew up or as a small child she spent a great deal of time with her grandparents, uh, she would stay there for extended periods, and uh, so she was very close to Honda as when she was, a, you know, a small child. So it was very important to her that um, his story be told, and that it be told uh, truthfully, and that, that that his work be represented faithfully. So she really went the extra mile. I mean, she, like, as Ed said, I mean, in some cases she she translated. We didn't expect or request this, but I mean, she went forward and translated it into like the entire uh, film for us. And we would have essentially a guide to follow as we're watching the movie because there's no subtitles on the screen. And it's and and our reading of the film is based not just on understanding the dialogue, but also she, you know, there were a number of times when and there were cultural uh you know matters that we you know needed to be aware of and she made sure that you know we did and she she helped us with you know research into uh both language and culture so it was um she's a very very key part of this project yes absolutely 
Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about uh, shopping around for the publisher here in the States. Like how did you find somebody that was interested in, in publishing a Honda book? Uh, well, um, I had published uh, a book before. Uh, Ed had a, uh, a, Ed has a story about publishing that he could <laughs> tell you sometime over a couple of beers. But um, I had, uh, you know, published a couple of books uh, before, one of them being the uh, – the Godzilla book uh, in, that came out in 1999, I guess, something like that. And so, and 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 at that time, I actually had uh, gone through two publishers because the first one, uh, which was um, Bantam Doubleday Dell, had signed a contract with me and um, and then abandoned ship, and then I published it with a smaller publisher. But I knew the ropes of you know how to go through the whole process of creating a proposal. Um, seeking out an agent um, and approaching publishers either with that agent or independently. Uh, in this case, we decided to do it uh, independently for a couple of reasons. But uh, when we first, what, what we tried to do, because we knew we needed to do a lot of research and that, that includes translating materials and all that sort of thing. So we needed basically a budget to fund the research in a, in order to be able to, book and it used to be the publishing world has changed uh, tremendously in the last you know 20 years especially you know in the last five ten years with the real takeoff in uh, independent uh, publishing but um but it used to be customary for nonfiction writers and it is still but to a lesser degree to go out and get you know an advance so that you can either live off of it and and then write your book in a you know dark room somewhere uh, living on, you know, Twinkies and Dr. Pepper, or you, you know, a lot of people take that money and use it to support the research of the project, either if that involves traveling or whatever, you know, it, it, every project's different. So we had hoped to do something like that. And um, because, you know, we uh, need to, we, there was, at that point, we didn't, we, you know, eventually when you're doing research uh, project like this, everything kind of narrows down eventually, you know, the scope of your, the, 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 the net that you're cast becomes narrower rather than wider. You, you, it's, but you start off with a really wide net and you're, you're trying to basically figure out which of these materials that you're researching are the things that you really need because you don't want to spend money and resources, you know, translating everything because out of that, book that you have translated, maybe a couple of pages are relevant to the work you're doing. So you could end up, if you're not careful, wasting tons of money. But anyway, I'm getting a little bit on a tangent here, but we went out with a proposal. Um, we created a proposal and started contacting publishers. And um, this was because of the, the, the reasons I just told you, this was before we had really started writing and because we were looking for some sort of, you know, seed money or budget to, for, to fund the research. Um, not, you know, not a lot of money, just something to help, you know, defray our costs so we didn't go into the red. And, um, but it was right after the, or right at, the, you know, on the tail end of the, the recession. And um, a number of publishers that I contacted said, Normally, this is something that we really like to do, but our book sales are in the toilet right now, and we just can't even, you know, look at something like this right now. And um, that went on for a few months, but I, I, I figured, you know, eventually we would find something. And um, out of the blue, um, Stuart Galbraith, my uh, good friend and colleague, contacted me, 
And he said that he had been approached by a publisher looking for somebody to write a Honda book. Um, and he wasn't really interested in doing it uh, himself, but he referred them to us. And he said, I have these two friends who you should talk to because they're working on something like that right now. And that's how it happened. It was just a, that particular publisher had an editor on staff who was a fan of Honda's films and uh, wanted somebody, you know, to, uh, and they had approached also people in the academic world. Um, I, you know, there are actually people whose names I know that they approached, but I probably shouldn't mention because I don't have their permission to say who they are, but uh, they also declined. It was just not a project that they were interested in doing. And, and, um, and so this publisher and this editor, uh, Wesleyan University Press, very prestigious um, place to have a, uh, any sort of book uh, on you know uh, in the you know in the film history realm or film biography. Uh, it's a it's a plum <laughs> placement for our project to say the least, because one of our big uh, goals in doing this in the first place was to elevate Honda and elevate the discussion around his movies and around his his contribution to cinema. Uh, we, you know, to take him out of, at least in, in, in terms of the, the book itself, to take him out of the, you know, the fandom type of realm and, and have him discussed on, uh, on a more serious level than, you know, he usually is and, and that his work usually is. And uh, being published through Wesleyan University Press certainly will ensure that our book is in, you know, the libraries of, uh, you know, many, many college campuses. And hopefully talk in uh, film courses around the country and around the world in the years to come. At least that's what we hope. And um, so, yeah, Wesleyan looked at our proposal and um, they liked it and they made us, uh, I don't know, they offered us a contract pretty, pretty quickly. So that's, that's how it happened. Nice. Very cool. So uh, in your dealings with, you know, learning about Ashiro Honda, I think you would agree that, here in the States, we really only see the tokusatsu stuff. We really just see the Godzilla and other kaiju films because that's what's available to us. Uh, what other genres right. has he dived into that, that we, as American fans, who haven't been able to look at the Japanese side of things, what should we be looking for in Japanese releases of his films? Like, is he a, a, did, did he go into the horror realm? Is he a... Uh, a lover of the dramatic film, like what? Where does he excel for your for your <clears throat> book? For your book, uh, <laughs> well, um, he was a, a studio filmmaker, so he 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 crossed over, you know, a number of different genres. But uh, I would say that you know, early in, he, his film career went through a number of different phases. Uh, like a lot of people from his generation, he started off. Uh, there was a Toho had a, a documentary film division, and um, it started off actually as a newsreel company that made propaganda newsreels uh, during the war. And then after the war, it, it was converted into basically like they called the cultural film uh, division. And um, they made uh, they were making these travelogue type films for different parts of Japan that uh, basically were funded by these local municipalities that wanted to attract tourism, and they would contract out these um, these basically uh, tourist films. And um, that was his first documentary short was called Iseshima, and it was filmed in and around the area where the Odo Island uh, scenes for Godzilla were shot a few years later. In fact, 
that's why he ended up going back there because he had experience uh, shooting shooting in that area. And um, you, if you've looked in his credits, you you will, or any kind of synopsis, you will see Anisha Shima is a film that uh, one one of the not- the notable things about it. It's a very short film. I think it's like twenty minutes. Yeah, about twenty minutes. Seen it. Yeah, um, but it, it's notable for uh, having the first underwater. Uh, photography and Japanese cinema. And uh, he actually supervised the um, the creation of uh, an underwater camera, an under, under, underwater camera housing for the purpose of shooting that movie. Uh, the area uh, in Iseshima is um, famous for its cultivation of pearls. And there's a whole culture around pearl diving there. And the local women are raised become pearl drivers a whole of them there and he filmed them um you know actually in the act of harvesting pearls and then um and then there's a, a very famous shrine in that area and much of the film revolves around that and after he proved his his metal in uh, documentary films he made two of them he also made one about um the existence of the co-op system in japan which arose out of the ashes of uh World War II, it became this way of trading uh, food and other goods, and um, it was kind of like a new thing. It was uh, kind of controversial, and he, uh, one of the th- the first two documentaries that he made uh, was about the co-op system. Anyway, after those two films, he was given a chance to uh, direct his first feature film, which is the Blue Pearl from 1951, and that was also shot in the Iseishima area, and it's about the pearl divers in that that in that community. So it's um, he he kind of went back to the well a couple of times uh, very early on. But his first few films are very much reflective of the post post war atmosphere, post occupation atmosphere. Uh, they are dramas about young people trying to make it in a Japan that is fast changing. There are uh, clashes in several of his films between the generations, uh, the, the, the war, you know, the, 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 the Meiji era generation, the older people who, and the people who fought in World War II and their parents and, uh, and young people who are just trying to get by in this post-war world that's heavily influenced by American uh, culture and um and you see that in a lot of Japanese films from that era. It's a very common theme. And he very much was a chronicler of the, the post-war period. And then, uh, you know, and the first uh, film that kind of put him on the map, though, is, uh, and I'll let Ed talk a little bit about this if he wants to, is um, uh, Eagle of the Pacific, which was made um, almost, a, you know, a year or so before Godzilla, but that's like his first big blockbuster. That was kind of like the film that sort of uh, elevated his status at the studio because it made a lot of money. It's also the first big collaboration between Honda and Eiji Tsuburaya because it was a it's a world uh, a World War II blockbuster with lots of special effects, and it's the story of uh, Admiral Yamamoto and uh, and the yeah. tragedy of, of World War II. Yeah, it's, uh, well, one of the more notable things about the film is that uh, even though it's uh, it's a film that's made shortly after World War II had ended, you know, he chooses to focus on the the human cost of the war and 
kind of uses it to make sort of an anti-war statement, uh, kind of capitalizing on the fact that uh, Yamamoto, uh, Yamamoto was kind of like the reluctant warrior who really, you know, wasn't kind of kind of got dragged into the war. wasn't really He didn't really seem to have his heart in it, at least the way that he's portrayed in the film. And uh, this, both this film and the one he made afterward, which is Farewell Rabal, uh, were his basically his two war films, and the only two war films that he made. And he used both of them to to basically uh, make an anti-war statement. And you know, as one of the things that you learn in, in uh, researching about Honda is that you know he spent a, a great deal of his early career being taken away from his his love which was making movies and being forced to uh serve serve in the armed forces uh for japan during uh the second world war and it had a you know, very profound effect on him and he unfortunately uh not only did he have to give up much of uh, his early career time to the war but it also you know showed him the uh, a lot of terrible he experienced a lot of terrible things uh and and he came to you know to really uh, that, that came to really shape his worldview and and i think these two films probably more than any other ones that he made outside of perhaps godzilla uh, kind of reflect that that he's he's you know using his uh, the terrible experiences he had in the war and kind of expressing you know the consequences of what that does to you know normal ordinary humans especially farewell rabal which is a film that follows eagle of pacific uh is you know very much on point to that because uh, the story is about a, a pilot who's like a super gung-ho uh you know no nonsense pilot who's bought into the you know everything that the, the imperial army has has been preaching and uh, over the course of the film, you know, this guy kind of undergoes a transformation as he sees people around him dying, and he experiences uh, meeting a, a an American pilot who was shot down and captured. And in talking to this guy, you find out that that uh, you know he's just like an ordinary guy. He's 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 considered one of the the America's best pilots, but he's not a professional pilot. He yeah, he's just a, an ordinary guy, and and you know, through this American guy, they, they express a lot of uh, he expresses a lot of criticism of the uh, mindset of the, the the Japanese military and how how lightly they took uh, the cost of human life in the Second World War. So, but anyway, so that yeah, the, those two war films are are one genre that Honda was in. That he was, yeah. I, I think one another one he was particularly good at was uh, was you know kind of like light uh, light comedy and, and and romantic comedy too. There's several other films that he made in the in the fifties that are, are are really quite amusing, quite funny, and and you know the kind of films that I wish that in some way someday that uh, will get screenings over here because you can it, it really kind of fleshes out the Honda as as a, a filmmaker that you know you get to see really how versatile he was. One of my favorite films. Uh, he, he also was groomed right after Godzilla. Tomoyuki Tanaka felt that um, the producer Tomoyuki Tanaka felt that Honda had a an affinity for for women and and women's stories, and he briefly was grooming Honda 
she'll be a, a director of films targeting a female audience uh, in a similar vein to some of the Narose films, but Honda's touch isn't so, so bleak. But uh, one of the films that he made uh, basically right after Godzilla is a film that I really, really enjoy called uh, Mother and Son. And um, that is a wonderful drama that encapsulates a lot of the things that um, we were talking about earlier, the, the young people you know, kind of stuck in this situation, this post-war Japan, post-war Tokyo that is um, very much on the men, but it's a slow process. It's a hard life. And they're also, they're not only, you know, trying to make their way in this world, but they're struggling against the, the tide of <laughs> meddling parents that are stuck in, you know, older traditional ways um, that aren't really, um, you know, buying into the new ideas that are uh, that have been introduced with the influence of American culture, and that has um, Hiroshi Koizumi, who was in a lot of Honda's science fiction films. But um, Hiroshi Koizumi plays the son of the title "Mother and Son," and uh, it's about his meddlesome, you know, his relationship with his meddlesome, domineering mother. Uh, as he tries to basically strike out on his own, it's a it's a wonderful movie. I really enjoyed that also. But yeah, Farewell Rabal. Uh, you asked earlier, Kyle, like which films are of Honda's, you know, uh, non science fiction uh, output are are available. Uh, none of them are available here, but in Japan, it's, it was surprising to us that very few of them are available there either. In fact, I think even to this day, the only th- there are only three have been released on home video in Japan, and that's um, uh, Eagle of, of the Pacific, Farewell Rabal, and a film that he made in the uh, mid-60s called Come Marry Me, which is uh, with uh, Yuzo Kayama, and that's kind of a, a, a light romantic comedy. sort. Of. It's a little bit like the Young Guy films that uh, Kayama starred in, although it's a little bit... Uh, it's not quite that breezy, but it, it has some similar aspects to it. If you've ever seen uh, or heard of those films. Well, I think I, I may have heard of some of those films because I feel like the last time we talked, Steve, when you sort of were hinting at the book, you definitely brought up a couple of those in our conversation. Um, I am curious, though, bringing it back to the monster aspect of things, the kaiju and tokusatsu stuff, what have some of his uh, – Honda's favorite uh, – what if some – I am not wording right. What are some of your favorite <laughs> works that he has done in the tokusatsu realm? Go, Steve. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's hard to 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 pick favorites anymore. I mean, after all this time and thinking about all of them, there are things about all of them that I like uh, and. You know, and I, but I think one of the films that's the most underrated, I can actually say that about it. I mean, if, if you, if I had to go on like emotional favorite, it's always going to be War of the Gargantuas because I grew up with that film. It uh, terrorized me and I still find it effective after all this time. But I mean, I, I think one of the most underrated of his films is um, All Monsters Attack. Uh, AKA Godzilla's Revenge. I think it's a it's a wonderful little film and I think one of the reasons people have 
dismissed it over time. I mean, when you're young and you and it comes on television, you know, I grew up in television, and I was accustomed to seeing you know the films on Saturday Saturday afternoon television. And the big thing that struck me about it when I was you know ten was that it was full of stock footage, and so immediately I you know was dismissive of it. And also it doesn't have any, you know, city destruction sequences and all the things that I liked about those films then, which is ironic because if I probably had seen it, uh, without having, uh, viewed all the other films that it, you know, steals things from in the first place, I think I might've liked it a lot more at, at, at that age, you know, in the way that I do now, because it's a wonderful story and it's completely outside the universe it's um you know set against this backdrop of, of of Japan that's you know in full economic recovery but it's on the fringe of of that recovery it's not about you know the people at the top it's about the family struggling on the margins the kid lives in an industrial city his dad one of the things i love about the film is you know it's about a very real problem that they were experiencing at that time. These latchkey kids. There were a lot of families like the one in the film where the mother had to had to work to help meet expenses, and so there was no parent in the in the home when the child came home. It was a latchkey kid, the Kagiko. Um, that's it was actually a real problem that Honda was reflecting. It was something that was being written and spoken about, and and that's one of the the, the joy. worked on this book and, and looking at all the films again is diving deep to the context of, of when they were made and learning about some of the things that Honda was actually, you know, reflecting in his movies that you may not ever eat it or. Um, but I, I think I think that film is one of my favorites now, and has been for some time. And I think it's quite underappreciated. It's you know taken on its own merits. It's a wonderful story. How about you, Ed? Are there any specific like movies that now, after you've like studied his life and you're going back to the well of Tokusatsu and kaiju films, like have you found a new appreciation for any of those films? Well, I, I don't know if I can say I found a new appreciation. Or maybe for a them different because, light. <laughs> because, because, because I did have such a strong appreciation for them in the first place. But, you know, I think to reflect what Steve said about Godzilla's Revenge, I think that that also, you know, I, I don't know if it was necessarily the film, the, the research on the book itself that uh, upped my appreciation for the film. But it was just one of those things that at the time that I saw it, which was when I was... I think 18 years old, and after having just seen Destroy All Monsters, you know, this was uh, probably about the worst thing I could have ever imagined seeing. <laughs> and it, because it was just the circumstance under which I, I saw it. But, you know, when I when I showed it to my kid, uh, when you know my, my daughter was like three years old, and I showed it to her, and I, you know, as I'm watching it with her, and I'm starting to see it under in an uh, entirely different vein, it's like, well, wait a minute, this is actually uh, a really good film for little kids you know it wasn't the right film for me to see at the time that i saw it but you know looking at it from a different viewpoint you can really see that oh wait a minute this isn't just like an embarrassing you know film to watch which i guess when you're 18 years old and you're, you don't know anything else about these films other than this thing just came out uh yeah it it really gave me a, a, a far greater appreciation for what uh honda was doing 
Um, it's interesting too to to when we started diving into this stuff. I mean, just to give you an example, um, there was a huge um, armored car robbery in uh, Tokyo about a year before this film was made. It was uh, and it and it was never solved. Uh, it was at the time, and I believe until now it may still be. Uh, it's one of the the biggest uh, bank heists or or you know. Uh, armored car heists in Japanese history. And uh, it was something that was very much on the public mind. And that's what the two, you know, the bank robbers, the the, the crime that is uh, committed in the film is basically mirroring more or less. And um, there, I just find that that's just an example of, of context and contextual stuff that we found out about or uh, enjoyed writing about but um the film too is it's got this wonderful you know uh alice in wonderland kind of thing going on uh, where you know i love the the there's this sort of duality or, or you know the reflection between the dream world and the and his reality ichiro's reality there's the sort of rabbit hole that he falls into in uh on monster land or monster island where he falls down into the the hole and um and he comes up and uh, Minya has saved him. And then there's that sort of parallel hole in the floor in um, in the uh, the warehouse that he's playing around in. And that ends up helping him defeat the bad guys. All kinds of little things in that film that I enjoy very much. Awesome. So Rachel actually has a question for you guys. Yeah, it's actually sure. one of the people in the chat room, um, Kyle Bird, who we had as a guest earlier. Um, he wants to know... How did you guys get Scorsese involved in the book? Uh, well, we, we asked. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that hard. Uh, uh, Scorsese uh, met Honda on the set of Kurosawa's Dreams, uh, in which uh, Scorsese has a part playing Vincent Van Gogh. And um, yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, we had heard this story uh, from several people. Uh, about when filming wrapped on Scorsese's scenes for that film, uh, Honda, who was working as uh, Kurosawa's chief assistant, essentially, he asked to meet Honda and have a picture taken with him. And we'd heard that from numerous people, and it's actually a story that's repeated uh, in the documentary um, The Making of Dreams, which you can now get on um, the new uh, Blu-ray of, of that film. Um, so we were looking around or thinking about who we would like to have write a preface. We'd like to have somebody well-known to kind of give the book some credibility. And, um, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't very difficult. I think I looked up, um, the email address of, of Scorsese's company online and just sent them an, an email. And one of his assistants got back to me and then he asked to see a copy of the manuscript, which wasn't in final form yet, but you know, I sent them a PDF, and uh, he read it, and um, he wrote back. And initially, you know, um, we thought he was just going to give us a, a blurb for the back cover of the book, like a, two sentences or something. But what he wrote ended up being—it's not long, but it's a couple of paragraphs. It's and it's, and uh, so our editor at the publishing house um, asked if we could just use it as a preface, and um, and they said it was okay. So. Yeah, sometimes it just pays to ask because nice. Uh, nice, people yeah. will say yes. Yeah. 
Let that be the lesson to everyone out there. People always <laughs> say yes to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah. 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 No, I, I really didn't know what to expect. But then again, Scorsese has been very supportive of other projects. I mean, if you look around, I think if you put his name in Amazon, half the titles that come up are things that he's written, like an introduction or preface for. And then you look, uh, I mean, once in a while, you'll pop in a DVD or, or a Blu-ray of some Korean film or something, and he's on there introducing it. He's supportive of a lot of different uh, types of films. And, I mean, you know, he's a historian in his own right. So, um, yeah, that was a really fortunate thing. You know, I think it gives us a little bit more... Uh, credibility and certainly uh, it's gratifying and you know gives me confidence to you know that that the book um, will interest people and having his name on it can't hurt that's for sure definitely not definitely not uh, so I think we actually have to wrap up for time for, uh, with our talk for you guys. But, you know, I want to say once again, thank you guys so much for being a part of the emergency broadcast. And for the listeners out there, <laughs> Steve and Ed are going to definitely at some point come back on the show. And we're going to have an episode all about Ishiro Honda and uh, much like what we did with Akira Ifukube when I talked to uh, Eric Hominick. So uh, thank you in advance for being a part of that upcoming episode, gentlemen. Okay. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate it. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah. And as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you guys and, uh, Ed and Steve for the listeners out there. They just, they're the kind of guys that I kind of want to emulate my own Kaiju affinity, uh, off of like, they're basically, they did the books, they did the commentaries. And as, I mean, I am not doing a book. That's why I do the podcast, but you know, and eventually I would love to, to pick your brains about some more projects that I have in the back of my brain as well. Go for what? it. Yeah, no, we, we look forward to that. That'd be nice. All right, cool. Well, I'll let you guys go. And until next time, thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Great. Kyle. Thanks. All right, so then that's uh, that's the end of that interview. Well, we're running a little bit long on some of this stuff. Of course, you know, live show. You never know how it's going to go. I'm actually thinking that we're going to nix the musical break. So what we'll do is we have about 12 minutes before our next guest comes on. So we are going to do our next giveaway. All right. So prize pack number two, I feel like I can't even believe that we're only on prize pack number two here. Uh, prize pack number two includes a Shin Godzilla mini poster, Ultraman Shirashi, Godzilla Shirashi, two Godzilla postcards, a Kaiju Cast versus Kodojo postcard, a Godzilla fan. Now, this is actually a... Um, a literal fan that I picked up at the Godzilla store. It's different than the one I got last year. That is an actual like fan fan. It's shaped. <laughs> each one of the spokes on the fan is shaped like Godzilla 2000. So it's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, there's also a Godzilla button, five issues. The first five issues of the Kodoja comic book, a vintage inspired Godzilla journal, a two-pack of Godzilla stickers, a Godzilla Awakening hardcover comic book, the DNA paper that I talked about. It also comes with a chibi Mecha Godzilla, a Mothra larva figure, a small Godzilla diorama figure, 
and the 1994 NECA Godzilla figure. So that, yeah, that's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff for prize pack number two. And prize pack number two's question is going to be asked by Mr. Clancy Peterson here. Uh, is everyone ready for the question in the chat, Rachel? Uh, yes, I believe so. Okay, so without any further ado, take it away, Clancy. All right, here we go. In 1964's Mothra vs. Godzilla, Happy Enterprises purchase, purchases Mothra's egg from the local villages, villagers for a very specific amount of money. What item's wholesale price do they use to calculate the total price? Yes. So what were they using, guys? So obviously the first person that answers correctly, oh, which I do think we, is John full, Logan. The full answer? Yeah, the full answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The okay. John Logan. Actually, well, actually, right before that is uh, Danzilla. Oh yeah, yeah. Look at yeah, that. So sorry, John. Uh, <laughs> first, well, he, he can see time. that. I do that every year. <laughs> so number one, okay. It's a fake first, out. yeah, fake out. Yeah. Uh, so the winner is Danzilla ninety three with chicken eggs. Woo! Good job, man. All right. So that was the uh, year. Just do me a favor and Danzilla. I feel like, Dan, you've won before, right? Uh, just email controller at kaijucast.com and in the subject line, write prize pack number two. Make sure you include your address. And, and what is your shirt size? That is something we need to know because if your shirt size matches any of the shirts I have. Dan has won five years in a row, by the way. Holy <laughs> cow. <Damn>. Trivia master. <laughs> is that more than Patrick? I think I think that might be. Patrick said he didn't win last year, so maybe. Really, man. Well, someday Excel. we should we should come up with a board of like the top top we, winners, and we then should make retire sure that they his don't. number. Yeah, exactly. We should retire <laughs> them from winning stuff from the KaijuCast. All right. Well, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much. I think uh, we're gonna go ahead and move along to our next item. Yeah. So he also wins a shirt. Yeah. So, so there's a yeah. shirt in there too. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but uh, it's because I have a bag of shirts, a bag of like nerdy shirts and a section of those are Godzilla shirts. So ha <laughs> I think we're going to go ahead and move on to our next guest. Oh no, wait, you know what? We got a little bit of time before that. Um, I guess one of the things that I would like to do is see if there's any questions in the chat that have been, that haven't been addressed that we could maybe go to. <laughs> yes. Rachel is correct. Email controller at kaijucast.com. What is an all-star T-shirts? You can't get all-star T-shirts, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you guys vamp for a second. Uh, all right. Um, well, apparently lots of people just typed eggs, so um, so they're disappointed. So I can understand. You guys were close, but no cigar. So, But uh, we do like full answers around here um, <laughs> because we're hard asses. That's apparently. right. And yeah. he does specifically so. say of a chicken egg. Yeah. In, in the quote, yes. So, uh, but um, yeah, any any questions? Um, we can talk about our favorite eggs was a recommendation. <laughs> I'm sure this is going to be a really popular segment of the show. Godzilla um, eggs, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Godzilla well, egg is my right. favorite. <laughs> oh, I like the baby Rodan egg where oh, yeah, the Rodan pops good. out of an egg. So there, um, there are some I'm favorites. Now I'm thinking of kaiju eggs. Yeah. Um, and the omelets that we could make. Who else them? came out of an egg? Uh, <laughs> Gilala kind of did, I guess. So, 
Gappa definitely. Yeah, came oh yeah, out there's of an egg, Gappa eggs. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jagger anyway. eggs. Man. Yeah, oh, there's yeah, a, right. there's a, there are yeah, a lot of eggs. eggs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We could have a we could have like the dirty dozen gauss, megagirus, baby Godzilla. Gosh, there's a lot of eggs yeah, that kaiju that come uh, out of. That there were so many. Now I know that's excellent. No, I had to. I had to. No. You know. Okay, I will say that it was started because the '66 Batman show was mentioned earlier in the chat room, so it was in my head. The Eggman was saying ridiculous things. I chose not to indulge and start saying a bunch of egg puns on the chat room, but I had my opportunity. I had to take it. And yes, I am Vincent Price to answer Dan. <laughs> That's an excellent answer. I can't really do a good Vincent Price impersonation. I should probably work on that. <laughs> yeah, you should. You should <laughs> Actually, Brian, you should. I think you have the right timber in your yeah. voice for a, <laughs> for a Vincent Price. We're from the same town. He's from St. Louis. Really? So, yeah. Really? All right. So uh, I think do a little bit more vamping and I will get our next guest ready to go. Okay, every we have a recommendation on the board that everyone should try to sound like Vincent Price. So maybe we should try that out. Um, I'm we just really answer, bad at answer the next call impressions with, with I know our with our yeah we could really <laughs> throw throw our guest off. Um, yeah, oh, 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 John Logan says these yokes are getting hard to take. Mm. 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 That's good. Mm. That's good. <laughs> I oh I should I've do that in a Vincent Price an voice section out of an emergency a live show. <laughs> How do you cut a section out of a live show? Um, uh, ho ho ho! You guys crack me up. They're just really nailing it. Oh, and I'm getting blamed for it. By the way, yeah, it's my fault. It's all my fault. <laughs> There's always a segment of the live show where it falls apart because I do the the just filler. And it just doesn't work. <laughs> I think it does work. I, but uh, Brian's definitely not pulling his weight in terms no. of, I mean, he's, he hasn't come up with a single Jaws reference in this episode. That's true. And other people brought it up first in the chat room before you did. So, although it's because Jeff's not here. Yeah, that's true. So, <laughs> yeah, Jeff, you know, Jeff, Jeff should have been here. I but, know. Uh, unfortunately, we do this thing every year where we go watch horror movies in the woods and that's what we end up going to. That's what you've, if you've heard me refer to it, it's called Camp Slaughter. They have a winter version of it that I don't usually go to. And that is where Jeff is right now. Yeah. Actually, he should be coming back. I thought, I told him he should swing by. It'd be hilarious if like, it'd be like, hey guys, I'm doing a walk on. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> but nice. unfortunately, uh, Jeff is not here. It would be, it would be great to get him back for a little bit more in terms of, episodes in 2017 yep. do you guys have any 2017 kaiju related uh resolutions that you should probably tell the listeners about so they can hold you accountable for them <laughs> kaiju related mm. resolutions yeah right that's wow. the thing right well right. what do you got what do you got <laughs> well since i got back from japan i've been making a run through the entire japanese godzilla films i'm going from i started with the first and I'm going to go through. Well, actually, technically, I watched Shin Godzilla on the plane. Hmm. Um, January, you know, the beginning, it was January. So, um, but then when I got back, I started with the original. So I'm doing that. And um, just yeah. Godzilla, or are you doing other kaiju? I'll probably grab some other kaiju films in there, but I've been just focusing on those because you know, there's a ton of them. 
All right. Good stuff. So, so we have our, our next guest on the line. That is Mr. Sean Lincoln back. Now, if you are not familiar with Sean, let me go ahead and tell you a little bit about my experience with Sean. Sean used to have a store called Showcase Collectibles, and this was run out of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I lived in Savannah at the time, and this was right when I found out about Godzilla stuff having continued past. I've talked about it a lot, right, where I'm like, oh, my gosh, the Internet has opened up this information to me. And uh, now I know that there are the Heisei movies. And uh, so basically, Sean has, uh, as the guy who ran this store, he had to hear from me a whole bunch as somebody who really wanted to buy Godzilla toys. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, and then, um, fortunately for me... What? Did you turn my headphones <laughs> off? Hang on a sec. <laughs> We've got audio problems. We've got audio problems. So let's see. We're going to... I'm going to keep talking. And hopefully we can get something going on for Sean here. Let me see if everything's right. Uh, so, yeah, he was basically – cool. He was basically the guy that I – he was my dealer. You know, that's what I'm going to say. He was my major <laughs> dealer. And I'm sure he had to hear from me way more than he wanted to because I think the first thing I ever bought was like a Destroya figure because I saw the movie and I was like, oh, my God, what an incredibly awesome monster. And then I bought the Bandai figure, which – um, if anybody's been around for a while and they collect Bandai figures from, let's say, the 1995 era, the figure's kind of <laughs> a little lackluster compared to the actual monster, which I realized much later was going to be the case with most monsters. Uh, but Sean Lincolnback, aside from owning Showcase Collectibles, now runs Showcase Daikaiju, and he is the author or the editor. I don't know how you qualify yourself for that book, but he did The Art of Japanese Monsters – Welcome to the Kaiju Cast, Sean Lincoln back. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a very, very much a pleasure to have you on the show, man. I I have wanted to actually have you on the show for quite a while just to talk about the book because um when when I heard about it, when you guys sort of announced it online, uh there was I, I don't think there was even a full second of my life that went by before I decided I needed to own that book. And I was on board immediately. Cause I am a poster. I am a poster junkie because of you, sir. Wow. Um, well, that's great. I'm, I mean, I'm glad to hear that. Um, it, it's definitely the book that I've been wanting to do for ever since the original, uh, guide to Godzilla collectibles came out. I wanted to do just a poster book. And it certainly took a long time to get it done, and uh, Ed was a tremendous help on it. But uh, hopefully the, the wait was worthwhile. Oh, so Ed helped out as well. That's cool. That's cool. It's not surprising. Uh, Ed, if for the listeners out there, Ed has a massive Godzilla collection. Uh, yeah, he's he collects pretty much everything that comes out. It's got to be one of the biggest collections. But yeah, he... Uh, he he helped design the book. He helped me with the layout. And, uh, of course, the, the focus of my collection has always been Godzilla stuff. And he has a lot of uh, different films of, of things that I wouldn't collect that uh, helped to fill out the book. And, uh, and of course, his, just his guidance and years of experience was, was very valuable. Couldn't, couldn't have done it without him, for sure. Nice. So tell us a little bit about your background as a Godzilla collector, first of all. When did you first find the toys and start wanting to collect them as opposed to like buying one or two here and there where you were like, I need to get more of this stuff? 
Um, for Twizzle, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because it, as a kid, you know, like everybody else, I saw Smog Monster and saw the kid playing with the toys. But at the time, that really never connected with me that those were toys that you could get in a store in Japan. I had just assumed that, you know, the toys that we had at our Toys R Us and Lionel Play World were the same toys that kids in every other country had. So I actually really thought that maybe those were just made for the movie and that those weren't toys that you could get. It wasn't, it wasn't until much later that I figured out that, wow, there's a whole line of Japanese toys that we don't have. Um, it was quite a shock. But it, the, the posters came as a result of dealing in comic books and collecting comic books. And, uh, and of course, like everybody else, I would see them at the movies, but I had no idea that you could actually own one until finding one for sale in a comic book shop one day. And it was around the time of Godzilla 85. And, uh, and it was just, you know, my eyes were opened and it was, oh my gosh, this is something I can actually take home and hang on my wall. This is amazing. And I, I bought it and started trying to find everything I could. And, of course, back then it was a lot different. You you would just order, and people would tell you something they had or had heard about, and you didn't see a picture. You didn't have an internet to know what it looked like. You would just send away some money, hope they still had it in, and you know, a month or two later you'd get it in the mail and either be extremely disappointed or extremely happy. I, I bought a couple of press books recently, and um, the this is uh, American press books from the classic kaiju films of uh, of yesteryear that they were showing back in the sixties and seventies, and the whole like the idea that you could just get a press book as a as a theater owner and then just order all of these materials for pennies and sometimes dollars, but still not, not very much money. Uh, Looking back at that now, of course, it just blows my mind that you could get like five copies of the Smog Monster poster for maybe five bucks or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, we look at it from a collector's eye. So for us, it's like, oh, my gosh, can we just order all of them that are available? And for a theater manager, they're looking at it as an expense. They're like, oh, do I really have to order five of these? I hate spending five dollars. <laughs> you know? So it's a little bit different perspective. And, and as you see, when you look at the press books, of course, they're usually duotone or black and white, and you really get an idea of the image, but you don't know if it's color or what if it's a two-color poster or three-color, and you're still not quite sure what you're going to get until it actually arrives. And not not so much with Godzilla films, but there's examples I can think of where you know the one sheet is full color, but maybe the half sheets and the inserts or the lobby cards for movies were duotone. And if you didn't happen to order the right one, you got a really disappointing looking poster. So there was still a lot of guesswork involved back then, but it is really great to see those press books and see all the different things that you could get to, to help advertise your movies. And, uh, and certainly there's some of the things that you see now that you just wonder if there's any of those around. And I'm thinking particularly of the, of the Godzilla versus Megalon press book has those great uh, sidecar ads for the Volkswagen where they were doing the t tie in there. Oh yeah. 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 Big full die cut, big displays of Gigan and Godzilla and jet Jaguar and Megalon. And you're like, wow, are any of those still around anywhere? That would just be incredible to find. Sometimes I feel like there's a warehouse somewhere in the United States. There's a warehouse where like it got boarded up. Nobody like paid attention and you could probably just walk in and find a treasure, a treasure trove of 50s, 60s, 70s posters because they just happened to 
not sell. They're just there in the in the boxes waiting <laughs> waiting for a home. But I don't know how realistic <laughs> that is. <laughs> you and every other poster dealer have that dream. That, <laughs> it, that was, the, the way the posters were distributed back then, the 50s up through the mid-80s at least, was they had what they called the National Screen Service. And that was the warehouse that distributed posters to all the theaters across America. And they did it for every studio. So and they had region regional warehouses all across the U.S. So if you were in uh, somewhere in the southeast, you ordered from the Atlanta NSS warehouse. If you were somewhere in the Midwest, you ordered from uh, the Cleveland warehouse or you ordered out from the L.A. warehouse. But these exchanges were the were in charge of gathering all the posters, keeping them there and sending them to the theaters when they when they ordered the material. And so the early collectors and dealers used to buy their posters directly from the exchange and the exchange would actually publish a list where they would send you a, a list of items that they had and you could buy posters for a dollar or five dollars and I've, I've met old collectors that you know tell me oh yeah i bought my forbidden planet one sheet right from nss for five dollars i wish i had ordered five copies <laughs> yes <laughs> those, those, those stories are actually out there <laughs> So what is it like buying Japanese posters? Because from what I uh, understand, or at least what I was told back in, I don't know, like the late 90s when I really started diving into it, and I don't have a massive collection of posters. I basically have enough to sort of line the walls of my room. Um, those Were those not actually available to the general public at all? No. Um, so here, the, the Japanese... Poster industry or theater industry kept an even tighter rein on their on their materials than the U.S. did. They they pretty much went straight from Toho. Toho always controlled that. They didn't have a middleman or a third party. You ordered it directly from uh, one of the Toho exchanges, and they had five of them scattered throughout Japan. So depending on what area of the country you were in, you ordered straight from them and returned it straight to them. And I found old examples of Japanese style press books where similar to ours, they would they would list the materials that were available for rent uh, that you could order. And uh, it, it's amazing to see the prices. In fact, I, in the poster book, I think I posted a page from uh, the King Kong versus Godzilla press book that showed that you could order for 10 yen you know, King Kong versus Godzilla B2 posters, which is their, their standard size poster. So that's about a dime. So it's pretty amazing to think that, you know, you, you could order a King Kong versus Godzilla poster for a dime. That's like uh, mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> like, and in fact, just from just getting back from Japan, you said 10 yen and my brain went, that's like garbage money. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Like you wouldn't even, uh, you tip more than that for a cup of coffee, right? It's like you oh, drop 10 yen on the street. More. Don't even worry about it. That's right. Yeah. I, I'm sure I have a collection of 10 yen pieces in my backpack that have, that I was un, un, unable to use in Japan. So next time you pick one out of your backpack, you'll look at it and go, this is a King Kong versus Godzilla poster at one point in time. <laughs> so Rachel has a question for you. Okay. Well, first okay. of all, just about everybody on the chat room says happy birthday. Oh yes, that's right. Oh. I forgot to do oh, that. <laughs> so happy <Thanks>. birthday, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And then I have a silly question for you. Um, I so I'm just curious. I was nosy and saw on on Google that you're an attorney, and um, a Godzilla related thing. I work in the legal field as well, and on my desk, um, amongst all the legal nonsense on my desk, I have a Godzilla figure and a King Ghidra figure, 
And then it turns out, I also noticed very shortly after starting at my job that one of the judges I work with also had a King Ghidra and a Godzilla figure on his desk. And I thought that was awesome because a lot of people in the legal field um, don't know anything about Godzilla, I guess you could say. Well, really, I guess people in general, coworkers in general. But it just made me wonder, do you have Godzilla stuff at your office? I, I love that you're always showing your support first. <laughs> um, I don't have any figures on the office, but I, I do have a couple of posters hanging up on the wall. I've got uh, U.S. hash sheets for King Kong versus Godzilla and Godzilla versus the Thing. That's awesome. That hang, that hang up at the office. Nice. That's great. I, I love seeing just different things that people, yeah, will have in their work environment that they just want to have, you know, personalize in some way. Um, especially in a real, you know, rigid community. Um, it's fun to see the little pieces of things people decide to take to the office with them. <laughs> so, yes, I, I, had, I had to fight really hard to be able to do that because that's certainly not traditional uh, attorney decorations. And yeah, you know, don't, don't you want to, don't you want to hang up your diploma instead? And I'm like, no, this is exactly like, no. what I want on my wall. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. I will fight for you. Like Godzilla fought against King Kong in this courtroom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, what are some of your favorite styles of posters? And that is a broad, broad question for a man who knows so much about the poster industry for, from Japan and America. And actually, I should just say across the world too, because uh, when we talked the other day, you had some Polish. You had a Polish poster up uh, behind you. I, I did that. The, I have the Polish poster for the 1954 Godzilla that hangs in my office at the house. It's definitely one of my favorite posters. Um, Overall, my favorite things are probably lobby cards. Uh, both they're, for those that are unfamiliar, lobby cards, they don't usually make them and show them in theaters anymore, but they're approximately 11 by 14. They can vary slightly depending on the country. Uh, they made them from the very beginning of, of movies in the U.S. in the 1910s. Until at least the mid '80s, they continue to make them somewhat uh, occasionally now for big blockbuster pictures. But they would display them, of course, in the lobby or outside the theater to to bring people in. They are usually produced in sets of eight, and they picture scenes from the film. Sometimes you'll you'll see a set of lobby cards of, for say, Godzilla, and maybe one scene will have Godzilla, in it, and the next scene will show Raymond Burr, and the next scene will have. Uh, Akira Takarada or something on it. So there's a variety to get. and But as a general rule, they're going to show some of the very best scenes from the film. So a lot of times the bigger posters are lacking or don't show the image that you always want from the movie. So when you get a lobby card, it, it gets you a chance to get the very specific image that you want. And then, of course, because this the size of it is so much smaller than a traditional one sheet or a larger poster. You can hang up several of them and then have something from a lot of movies showing in the space that it would usually take just to have one poster. So I like lobby cards a lot. Um, other than that, I probably focus on the Japanese piece going for country of origin. But I say that, but I pretty much, I mean, you know, I have almost everything from the U.S. I have almost everything from France. I have almost everything from Germany. So it's, over the years, I've collected a lot of stuff. But my focus uh, continues to be original Japanese material. 
So looking through your book, um, I, I can't remember if this happened before or after I looked at your book, but I know that looking through it for the first time, I got either A, enamored with it, with the style, or B, more enamored with it. And that's this, you know, the tall, skinny ones. Sometimes I think you call them the tateken. I'm not sure. Tateka. Yeah. Like, sure. They're amazing. And I love that they're skinnier, sort of in the same vein as like not putting up a gigantic poster, but they're still tall. And I have the, yeah. for the co-hosts in the room, I have the Monster Zero, I have a reprint of one of the Monster Zero ones hanging up in the hallway outside. And I just love that look, that tall, skinny look. It's something very different than what we see here in the States usually. And it's really cool how they designed some of them to emulate the full-size posters, but at the same time show off completely different aspects of the monsters, sometimes the, the characters too. They're 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 not really fun. They're their size is they're what they call the standard poster size in Japan is a B2, which is about 20 by 28. And the Tanacon takes two of those and just stacks them on top of each other and then makes a totally new image. So you have a poster that's just a little bit shorter than two feet wide and right about five feet tall. So it makes for a really impressive display. And, uh, and the Japanese are great for their layout and their innovative use of, of, of cutting out and pasting monsters and people and the, everything together and, and making it look really great. And they were made from the very first movie up until the mid-70s when they were actually banned. Uh, most of the theaters were, were posting them up on the sidewalk on displays, and it was causing too much commotion, traffic, whatever, but they actually stopped making them around 75, 76, and they cut out that style altogether. So they're, they're unique to the show era of Godzilla movies, but uh, I agree, they're, they're really great designs a lot of the time. Yeah, I'm actually thrilled that that uh, company, Kodansha, is sort of releasing, with each book that they release, or that set that they're coming out with, they have a preview poster that's that tall, skinny style of the next book's movie. So, like, for example, mm -hmm. I just picked, I think, ah, gosh, I'm going to say it wrong, I think, but I bought the Geigen set, and in that set, they have this gorgeous, tall, skinny Rodan poster that you better believe is going to get framed and put up on the wall here, the Kaiju Cast <laughs> HQ. Now, I, I, I love the poster that you're talking about. Um, it is one of my, I love Rodan, of course, is my favorite kaiju film. So, of course, I love that poster. It's got the, the great scene from the end of the movie on it and on top of the train station. But that is actually what they call a speed poster. Um, that's similar to a U.S. in a certain size. It's um, only about a little over maybe a foot wide and about two feet tall. So it's actually a little bit smaller than a lot, well, a lot smaller than, than the, one of the Tatacons. Mm. But it, it, that is a great format. It's, it's half the size of a B2. Uh, I don't know why they call it a speed poster unless maybe it was quickly printed or something. But uh, but it is, it is also a great design. A lot of times that design was also used on the larger Tatacom, but not all the time. Uh, but I, I like them. Uh, absolutely. Very cool. So are, do you have any other projects that you're working on? Anything coming up next? Or are you just still kind of relishing in the uh, now I'm done with the book? Because it's been out for a year and a half or so, right? It, it has been. Um, yeah, it's, it's time to – to, to get off my fanny and make something new, I guess. I, I, what I would like to do 
is I, I mean, everybody tells me that I need to do this anyway, is I'd like to do an update to the, to the first book. I'd, I'd like to do, uh, I guess, like an ultimate Godzilla collectibles guide um, that has everything in it. Uh, it. The first one came out in the late 90s, and I did my best to try to at least list and ID everything that had been made up until that point. And it was, I think I was pretty darn successful. It, it, it certainly has the most complete list of Godzilla merchandise made of any book up until that point. But the licensing and merchandising in general since that point in time has really exploded. And there's probably been more stuff made in the past 15, 16 years than there were in the first 40 years. So there, there's a lot that needs to be added to the book, and it's going to be a very big project. But I would like to have it out by the time the next U.S. movies release. So that'll that'll give me a little bit more than a year to to work on it and put something together. Wow, I'm impressed actually that you're even going to tackle that because I was looking through the book because uh, I've had the unauthorized collect. What is it? The unauthorized guide to Godzilla collectibles for years and years and years. And so uh, it's been a long time since I've cracked it open because I kind of have all the stuff in my collection that I kind of want that were, <laughs> that was made up until that point. And now the stuff that I'm buying as a Godzilla collector, you know, it definitely wouldn't most likely wouldn't be in the book that I own, but man, there's just been just a, an onslaught of Godzilla merchandise since 1996. There, there really has been. It's, it's an incredible amount of new material and then, of course, limited on the figures, especially when you talk about things like Marmot and M1, uh, just limited edition re-releases and new colors and variations of figures that they've done over the years. It's it, it, probably because it's such a daunting task. I've been just kind of like eyeing it and going, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this? But it needs to be done. I mean, it, it would really help collectors out tremendously and uh and that's really what i want to do so <laughs> well uh gonna try it <laughs> yeah I, you i wish you the best of luck sir i mean that sounds like a really <laughs> impressive monumental thing to do uh i was looking in the chat room here that we have up and jessica etchels is in there listening and she thought i should share my geek out moment from when we went to yuji's house from m1 uh, we were looking through his poster materials, and I was like, hey, do you have uh, Varan posters? Because for some reason, as dorky as he looks flying, I really like his – I really like the way that Varan looks when he's crawling around. And um, the Speed poster, or the Tatakan poster, I can't remember which, which one it was, is sort of on my list of stuff that I want a reproduction of because <laughs> I will never be able to afford – the original 1958 poster, I'm sure. But uh, I asked Yuji if he had that poster. And so instead of showing me that one, he showed me the the actual, I think it was the Tatakan because it was two big Varan posters stacked on top of each other. And I was like, wow. Because <laughs> it's A, so old, and B, still looks so beautiful. I was really surprised, especially since now you've told me that people had to return that stuff to, to, uh, the, the producer, right? Correct. Yeah. It was really, really amazing to see in person. Wow. Yeah. You, you were definitely in for a treat because obviously he has 
the top collection. Um, and it's, you know, when you ask him if he has something, it's more likely, you know, do you only have one of this something? Right. right. Uh, <laughs> you know, you ask him if you have Varan, that's more kind of like, well, which, which style would you like to see? You know, which, which one of the many that I have, would you like to see? So you were, uh, you know, it's a very lucky trip. Anybody that gets to go there and see his stuff, it's just incredible. And, and of course, it's not limited to posters. He just has an incredible collection and the best collection of everything, whether it's posters, toys, props, you name it. He's, he's got it all. Uh, and I think Clancy had a question for you too here. Hey, yeah, Sean. Um, just as somebody that's been in this collectibles, you know, world for such a long time now, um, what is it like currently that's really getting you excited? I mean, it might have been, sorry. <laughs> no, that's a, yeah, nobody's ever asked me that before. That's interesting. Um, it, it, I mean, that's different because as, as a poster guy, you're right. There's not like new posters coming out all the time. We have to wait for the movie to come out for new posters to come out. So, you know, like last year when, uh, Mission Godzilla came out, you know, I'm having to track down posters from the Philippines and from Thailand and Singapore and the U.S. poster and the Japanese poster. And um, it's it was both exciting and exhausting because you're trying to keep everything complete and up to date. And a lot of times you're buying the same image over again, so it's not so exciting. Um I I do like Kyle mentioned the you know the box sets that Kodansha is doing on the DVDs. Even though I hate the idea that they're attaching that to a DVD. I mean, you talk about really you know squeezing people for more nickels out of a format that nobody's used in ten years. They're they're doing it, but the the bonuses that they're putting in there are great for a lot of people that don't have the the desire or the funds to collect the originals of that stuff. I mean, that they're putting, you know, complete program reproductions in there and the reproductions of the posters. What a great affordable way to get so many people interested in this stuff, or at least to have some kind of representation that they can put up on their walls and enjoy. I, I, I really think it's a great thing that they're doing as far as the boxes are concerned. You can just throw the DVD away maybe, but, but the, box, <laughs> the box itself and the stuff that comes with it is great. No, keep the DVD because it adds a little weight to that box. Otherwise, it's just <laughs> going to fly around your room. So uh, what would you say is sort of like your grail piece now, right? As a collector, I'm assuming you have a grail piece that you don't have in your collection. Sure. Um, you know, go, going back to Yuji, um, there's there's a – what the it's called a tin sheet. It's actually 10 large B1 size posters that they made for King Kong versus Godzilla that uh, that I would love for him to or trade me at one point in time. He's got the only copy of it that, that is known to exist right now, and it's huge. It's you know over ten feet tall, and it's just an incredible looking poster with both King Kong and Godzilla on it. That would be something I would really love to own at one point in time. All right, wait a minute. How <laughs> you get this poster? What are you going to do with it? Uh. <laughs> Be find a way, to, with it. Find a way <laughs> to display it somewhere. Uh, <laughs> in the in my house, I've got a a six sheet that's about seven feet by seven feet hanging up for some like it hot. It's not a Godzilla film, but it's got a great image of of Marilyn Monroe and a and a classic 
uh, comedy. So you can hang up really big posters if you want to. Um, you just got to find the space for it. <laughs> and I, I would find it for that. <laughs> oh, no, my house doesn't have a 10-foot tall wall. Time to get a new house. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> oh, man. hang up the top half of it. It would be like a portrait of Godzilla from the waist up or something. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, that, that does actually make sense because it's already in pieces, right? It's not just yes, one yeah, big, yeah. gigantic, rolled 10-foot poster. No, yeah, it's it's in separate pieces, and uh, and I remember being at his house when he he rolled the pieces out to show them to me. It's it's a really impressive poster. Well, Sean, uh, I know for a fact that I love 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 the art of Japanese monsters, and there's a hardcover available, but I know that that's super expensive, and there's a soft cover that came out just afterwards. So I'm I'm hoping that those are still available for people. I I do have the soft cover, and. Uh, and if you get it, I promise you'll really like it. it, it but I, it, it's a little bit shorter than – it's a little bit of bridge compared to the hardcover because oh, okay. wanted to make sure the people that you know supported me and said they wanted to order a hardcover uh, got something extra. So it, the hardcover has got the, a, an article about reprints in it, and it's got, uh, I think, about 20 extra pages than the softcover does. But I didn't cut – anything of Godzilla movies itself. You know, I, I cut things, you know, uh, be put on the spot here. I remember what I tried to cut, but I, you know, I cut maybe Degoro and Goliath or uh, war in space or you know, something that's still a, a Japanese fantasy film, but not necessarily something that you're going to immediately notice is missing. You know, legend of dinosaurs and monster birds maybe is cut. Um, I don't remember all the titles, but I promise all the Godzilla and Gamera movies are still in there, and the, the mainline Toho uh, movies are all still in there also. Nice. Very cool, man. Now, are you going to be at G-Fest this year? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us this afternoon. Happy birthday, buddy. And Thank uh, you again. And we will talk to you hopefully very soon. That sounds great. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks a lot, man. See you. Bye. And there you have it. Wow. Man, I can't imagine seeing the pieces to that 10-foot by whatever-foot Godzilla poster. Yeah. For, ugh, that sounds awesome. amazing. Ah, oh, posters. I'm actually really glad that I don't – I'm not continually buying stuff because I just don't have the wall space for it. <laughs> and, the, you know, the Japanese posters, I'm sure some people are aware of this. They're different sizes than American posters, so you can't just go to a store and buy a pre-made like frame that's going to fit it perfectly. So mm. you have to go the extra mile and get custom frames built if you want to display them the way that I'm doing it. Because I'm fancy. I'm a fancy <laughs> man. <laughs> so uh, we've only given away two prize packs. <laughs> Technically speaking, we still have four more to give away. And uh, this is the part of the show where we crunch it down. And basically, it's nothing but prize pack, prize pack, prize <laughs> pack. So are the listeners ready for the next question? I'm hoping the answer is yes. What do you think, Rachel? Do you think that they're ready to win some more prizings? Uh, no, only one not. person's ready. Okay, well, no, I'm just kidding. no, the, <laughs> I got lots. Well, thanks everybody for yes, showing up already. for this live show. And we'll just... <laughs> All right, so the the question number three is Brian's, mm -hmm. and did you do you want to do you want to ask it yourself, or do you want me to do it because I have it written down? You should do it because it's all written down. Okay, so I'm gonna try and uh, imitate Brian here. 
not kidding. Nerd I'm not, voice. I'm not doing nerd that voice. Really. Okay, so question <laughs> number three, giveaway number three, includes a Shin Godzilla mini poster, Ultraman and Godzilla Chirashi, that DNA newspaper I was talking about, five issues of Kadoja. Memoirs. Oh, this is a book. Memoirs of Monster Island, a fun stomp through Toho's Godzilla films by Travis Kirkland and Luca Sanita. That was given to us by um, Scott Werner, who donated a lot of stuff to these prize packs, an awesome listener. Uh, it also includes a King Ghidra figure. And it looks like it also includes the Godzilla 2014 NECA figure. A Godzilla foot sound keychain. That is from the Godzilla store. A 1 to 35th scale Ultraman statue. Oh, I know what that is. Little tiny statues. Uh, a two-pack of Godzilla stickers, also from the Godzilla store. Two Godzilla postcards. A Shin Godzilla button. And a Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, or a Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, clear file folder. Wow. What a giveaway. So we're going to go ahead and ask that. I'm going to ask Brian's question, which is Akira Ifukabe wrote music for an exit for an exhibit. Sorry. At Expo 70 called nature of Japan and the Japanese dream. What Godzilla movie used this track? And so I'm not actually going to look at the chat room because I don't want to call out the wrong name. Didn't Dan already answer that anyway? (laughs) We want a a full name, right? Uh, I don't know. I think it's pretty obvious. Okay, it is pretty obvious. Okay, so So, I have to scroll up now because I was waiting for that. Not Dan, though. No, not Dan. Dan already won. won. Dan's playing when he shouldn't be playing. I think it looks like Don. Don and Ellie. Don and Ellie. All right, congratulations, Don. Good job, Don. Sweet. Dan can have bragging rights, though. Yeah, he can have half-second bragging rights. Yeah, exactly. Half-second bragging rights. So, Don, please send an email to controller at kaijucast.com and say in the subject line, uh, prize pack number three, make sure to include your T-shirt size and your address. If if For everybody else who's won, if you haven't (laughs) included your address, I'm going to need that to ship your prizes out to you. And, And we'll get that out sometime soon. The good news for this year's prize packs is that I basically packed everything up in boxes beforehand. So nice. they're literally ready to – like I got to put some padding in there. But I just got to like tape them up, label them, and ship them out. Sweet. That's the way to do it. Yeah. I definitely think that's the way to do it. <laughs> like <laughs> last year in the pre- – I think you know some people heard me say this. That previous – Double XL? Double X. Yep. We're, we're good All with right. double X. Sweet. For sure. Cool. Um, you get a shirt too. Previous years, there have been too many prizes in a sense. And, uh, you know, I love doing the Kaiju cast. I love doing these live shows. But I want to say, like, last year or the year before, I spent well over $100 shipping stuff out to the the listeners because I love you guys. I love you guys. You're uh, seriously really great listeners. And um, I'm glad to do these. I don't ever want to stop doing the show. And I definitely don't ever want to stop doing these live broadcasts. Uh, we are going to give away another prize pack now because that's just how this episode is going. So hopefully you guys are ready for prize pack number four where I got to find my, uh, oh yeah, 
<clears throat> prize pack number four includes, once again, a Shin Godzilla mini poster, Ultraman Shirashi, Godzilla Shirashi. I have a hair in my mouth. That's the perils <laughs> of having a long beard. A Kadoja versus Kaiju cast card, two Godzilla postcards, the DNA paper, World War Kaiju, the book, which is like a comic book. It's really awesome, uh, which includes a bookmark inside. It also includes the art. Ooh, how am I going to say this? It's a book called Artworks of Yasushi Torisawa, Attack of Toho Monsters. Now, I bought this book a while ago. This is another book that's been donated by Scott Warner. Uh, Torisawa-san is an amazing artist, and it's very stylistic. You know, like you look at um, the posters from Noriyoshi Orai, and it's like clearly you're looking at Godzilla – you're looking at Rodan, you're looking at Megaguirus, whoever it is, and there's just a little more flair that's got that yeah. Orai look. Well, uh, Torisawa is not a poster artist, but his book is amazing, and the style of these monsters is just fantastic. So you'll get that book with this prize pack. You'll also get the Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla clear file folder, the Godzilla fan that I mentioned earlier, a set of King Ghidra stickers, a Godzilla hot rod sticker from Monster Fink, a one-inch Godzilla button, a Shin Godzilla button, a Godzilla patch. Ooh, right. Those are cool. That's like a, the old old-school style Godzilla patch. Uh, a Godzilla diorama figure, a Zeton figure from Ultraman or one of the Ultra iterations, a GMK figure from Bandai America. And now it's time for me to ask the question. Whew. Whose question are you asking? Uh, this is me. Oh. Yeah. So – I don't have the answer to that one. Oh, yeah. That's right. Because we didn't take a music break, so you don't actually That's have right. the answers to that. So you want to write it I, down for me? Are you going to take I'll keep the, an eye on the... Okay. Yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the uh, chat bullet here. All right. Be warned. <laughs> it may be corrected immediately after he says it. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. It's okay. Maybe, it's okay. sort of. I mean, you know. Uh, initially, I was going to ask this question right after we talked to Ed and Steve. Um, as we know, Ishiro Honda directed some of our favorite Godzilla movies, uh, and he's done some other stuff. But his last tokusatsu, his last special effects film, what was that film? That's the question. And now, this is when I look, and nobody who has won had better be, had be answering this question. That's not how you say that. Michael Deke, Terror of Mechagodzilla. You are correct, sir. Ishiro Honda directed the 1975 finale to the Showa era. So once again, Michael, just send an email to controller at kaijucast.com, put prize pack number four in the subject, and what t-shirt size are you, man? Because if, I don't know, I've never met Michael in person, but if you're, uh, you know. Don't guess, that's rude, Kyle. I'm just going <laughs> to guess. <laughs> just going to guess it's small. No. <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, really? Okay. I think we got you covered, man. He says double X, so. This is awesome. I'm Sweet. cleaning house at the same time of <laughs> of providing these uh <laughs> Lady Kyle says woo in the background. <laughs> yes, yes, there's way too many shirts in this house. So, man, that was awesome. Okay, so oh, that's prize pack number 4, prize pack number 5, just moving right along is another question that I came up with. 
And hopefully, if you're interested in winning this, you're a bit of a kaiju cast historian. So let me tell you what's in prize pack number five. By the way, Jessica says hi to you, Lady Kyle. Hi. She says hi back. <laughs> uh, okay. This next question is a two-part question, which means you have to write both answers in the same line of the chat. If you do not have that, you're not going to get considered for the winnings. Prize pack five includes a book called Japan Demonium, which is a book all about yokai. And uh, it's actually a very specific yokai book, and I just got it. I haven't even been able to crack mine open yet, really. But it just came out by Matt Alt, who some will have heard on the podcast many, many years ago. It also includes the Godzilla Chirashi, Ultraman Chirashi, a mini Shin Godzilla poster, two Godzilla postcards, the DNA newspaper, a Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla clear file set, uh, oh, a sticker set called the Movie Monster Alphabet that I picked up in Texas earlier this year. It's kind of cool. A lot of kaiju make appearances in that. Perfect if you have a little child at home, maybe, I guess. Anyway, uh, <laughs> another set of Godzilla stickers, a Shin Godzilla button, a Godzilla hot rod sticker from Monster Fink, a 1 to 35th scale Ultraman statue. And it also – oh, this is this is awesome. Okay, this is as awesome as I could make this prize pack. Clancy and I, along with the rest of our fan vaders, stayed – or we went to the Godzilla room in the Godzilla Hotel, the Shinjuku Gracery Hotel, technically speaking – and when you stay in that room or when you rent the room, you get these awesome things, right? They have they give you a bag of awesome stuff. And so you, whoever wins this, gets a hotel stationery sticky note from the Gracery Hotel. Oh, <laughs> nice. Godzilla all over it. That's awesome. <laughs> I like how I built it up and then it's like sticky notes. Also, I, love sticky notes. I use sticky notes like crazy. There's a Bandai Ultraman figure in there and a Bandai Burning Godzilla figure in there. I think that's the Bandai America Burning Godzilla figure, but I'm not positive. Here is the question. What episode number was our first Daikaiju discussion film and what was that film? Make sure you put the same two answers in the line. What episode number and what was the film for our very first Daikaiju discussion? Ooh, Levi is wrong. But so close. So close. <laughs> this is uh, the best part about watching the chat is trying to see people guess. No, 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 no. You guys are way off. Oh, 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 wait, stop. Oh. Levi, Levi did got get it. it. Yeah. Dude, I can't believe you were able to revise your answer. It was episode 13 and it was Godzilla Final Wars. <laughs> we didn't start the Daikaiju discussions until a year into the podcast. So there you go. Congratulations, Levi. Congratulations. Also, uh, Levi is awesome. You guys should just all know that. And Levi, what's your shirt size? Exactly. So Levi uh, translated – or not translated – transcribed something for a future kaiju cast project mm, i wanted cool. to have it done last year but as you guys know my my free time my kaiju cast time has been quite diminished over over the past yes. couple of years because i've been doing the x-men podcast but kaiju cast is still a priority it's still on the deck still on deck i should say for a future project because it's it's awesome thank you 
uh, Levi, and he's also an XL. So nice. I think we're going to be able to hook many people up from this uh, episode with some T-shirts. I'm super excited to get these out the door and have you guys <laughs> – you guys should, you know what you should do is all these winners should take pictures of themselves with the swag or not the swag technically, but the, your, your winnings. Yeah. And then we should use that to advertise next year's show beforehand. Yeah. Cause I'm, I suck at advertising the Kaiju cast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So we're quickly, quickly wrapping up this show. Uh, we do have one more giveaway to give away. And this is a prize pack that doesn't, it's not here in the Kaiju, in the Kajukast uh, HQ. We have been uh, well. First up, because I I forgot to say it earlier to to Sean before everybody else did. Please join me in saying happy birthday, belated to Ayame Chiba. If you go ahead, happy birthday, Ayame <laughs> Chiba. <laughs> Oh, very good. Lady Kyle just uh, shouted it out in Japanese. So Ayame Chiba has been really, really awesome for the Kaiju cast because she, in a, you know, addition to donating prizes, which is fantastic, she's this treasure trove of information. So um, I actually found the very first email that she sent me, um, and I, <laughs> I know that I looked it up. I mean, I, I know that I read it when she first sent it to me, but um, I had, I mean, this is, if you could see it, it is a massive email. It's a big email. And, you know, I don't read a lot. I can read. I just choose <laughs> not to, man. No, but it's, it was a huge, huge email all about all sorts of things uh, in Japan. And like, she talked to me about big man Japan. She talked to me about uh, the political climate in Japan at the time. I mean, it's huge, huge email. So I just, I wanted to shout out to Chiba-san because it's really only been a year that she's been involved in like Godzilla stuff. And she's done so much in one year. Uh, the first email I got from her was on January 2nd, 2016. So nice. Chiba-san, we are so happy that you are involved with what we do. And I'm so happy that you're involved in the general Godzilla nerd life. And uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever want you to leave. So hopefully you've got lots and lots and lots of ways to school us in the coming years. Uh, now, having said that, <clears throat> I must clear my throat and read what is in the Chiba Force prize pack. Some of you may have seen this posted on Facebook. <clears throat> you will get the Gamera the Box 1995 to 1999 DVD box set, which includes the Heisei Trilogy and a bonus disc. This is Region 2. This is the Japanese release. You'll get the Gamera Ultimate box set, which is a... Sorry, the Gamera Ultimate box, which is a Laserdisc set with booklets. Jealous. That is me. <laughs> you get the Gamera Ultimate Collection DVD, a Gamera ADV... Oh, so the ADV box set of Gamera DVDs, which is the Heisei Trilogy. You get four Shout Factory Gamera DVDs, all of them but Baragon. The Iwakura Gamera Gapra Gilala Tokusatsu Encyclopedia 2 cigarette card album with a packet of cigarette cards. Whew, that's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> Maida Ai. Ai? I don't know how to say her name, really. In uh, the Gamera 3 picture book, you get Gamera 2 Ultimate Chronicles, Gamera SFX Studio Event Program, Daikaiju Gamera Volume 2 vs. Gauss Manga, Gamera 3 Oversized Pressed Foldout, 
Gamera Pachi Slot Mini CD-ROM, a Konami Gamera Volume 1 set of seven boxed figures, the Godzilla vs. King Ghidra, see, it's not all Gamera, Godzilla vs. King Ghidra manga, the Bandai Muto with tag, three promotional pinbacks given out at the American 1970s release of Godzilla vs. Megalon. I mean... Two of those promotional pinbacks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and now, unfortunately, they're not here, so I can't just claim it. She's going to mail these out to the winners. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. So, uh, Megalon. Oh, and of course, that is Godzilla, Megalon, and Jet Jaguar, I guess, on those pins. The Dark Horse Godzilla King of the Monsters number one issue. IDW's issue three of Godzilla Oblivion, and it's the real the retailer incentive cover Godzilla rage across time. Number one, the retail incentive cover. Whew. And that is the prize pack. And the actual question for that prize pack, this is hard. This is probably the hardest question. Maybe even the hardest question we've ever asked on the podcast. So I'm really interested to see if anybody can answer this question. And if not, I sort of have an alternative one. <clears throat> is everyone ready? I hope the answer is yes, because I'm just going to answer with the yeah. question. Right. So you should say the question, not the answer. No, I'm going to yeah. answer the question with okay. a question and okay, then good. question the answer with an answer. Whoa, yeah, I'm that's, confused. Okay, good. so I'm going to ask the question from Chiba, which is, <laughs> name the Gamera series actress who also played a member of the Time Patrol in the live action footage game Gamera the Time Adventure. Now, I have to look and see who, who is going to know this. Very good, Kevin. It is Ayaku Fujitani. Well done, sir. Well done. Uh, she played Woo-hoo. Ayako, the navigator, I guess, in, in the game. Nice. Kevin, what size shirt are you? No, no, don't ask. No, him oh, we don't not, have. We're out. No. Oh, yeah, this is her. Oh, yeah, this, this is, is her prize pack. So, we don't sorry. care what size shirt you no. are, Kevin. I mean, we you're welcome you. to let us we know to join the uh, Kaiju Cast model group that we have going. <laughs> but you know, we're not sending shirts out for that pack. <laughs> all right, we did it, you guys. Oh, yeah. We successfully gave away all of the stuff. Congratulations! I think it's time to say thank you to the listeners for being part of this. Once again, an epic emergency broadcast. Yes, definitely. Uh, thank you, Brian, for being here. Thank, thank you, you, Rachel and Clancy, thank for you. being here as well. Thank, thank you. you to Lady Kyle, and especially thank you to Gretchen for helping out with all my social media needs, especially especially when people are messaging me while I'm doing the show. <laughs> she can help answer those questions, which is awesome. Nice. So I didn't have to do too many pauses. Uh, hopefully, the, Hopefully, it sounded pretty good. Obviously, we're here in the studio hearing the best sound possible. <laughs> so, uh, I let's see, what are we going to do soon on the podcast? Let's see. You know, I did something last year that I I haven't ever done a follow up episode on, and I meant to, but it was just one of those things where I just didn't have the time to figure out when to do it. I did the monster music episode, or I think it was called the the music mo- music of monsters, and I mm-hmm. basically focused on the Showa era. I really, really want to dive back into that and do the Heisei and Millennium Era in the next episode. So hopefully that cool. that's coming soon. 
Um, I should say, you know, full disclosure, I have not really planned that out more than a, a draft in my Gmail, <laughs> but uh, it's it's on the list. It's on the list for doing it. Uh, this year, the Kaiju Cast will be at a couple of conventions, or I will be at a couple of conventions. I might be going down to Monster Palooza. I know Clancy's going to be there. Yep. They have not announced any Japanese guests yet, which they better get off their butts and do. They better <laughs> yeah. do that. Uh, also, I'm definitely going to be at G Fest. Are you heading back to G Fest this year? Or you think that might be too? Oh, it's it's the plan, but it's not. I'm not. I can't officially announce. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> we got to save that reveal for later. Yeah. Uh, are you guys doing any cool traveling this year? I don't think so. No? no. Okay. All right. Well, you, I'm sure you'll be able to see all of us at Rose City Comic Con, which is in September. <laughs> <laughs> Although that'll be here before we know it, the way time goes by. These That's days. true. It does. It does go a little too fast sometimes. Uh, well, thanks again to everybody who helped out with the podcast and, and the episodes. And we got to do something cool for episode 200. I'm, I'm definitely – I definitely need to start planning – to do something cool for episode 200. <laughs> I haven't come up with any good ideas yet, but uh, it's it's a milestone. And this is episode 194, so we really only got six more to go after this. So I think uh, with that note, we're going to close out the show with uh, – we're going to close out the show with a couple of songs, actually. We're going to close out with the first one being Black Angels from Shin Godzilla. And then after that, we are going to literally finish off the entire emergency broadcast with uh, one of the Godzilla March songs from the 70s. So until we meet again, Jamata.
あ来たぞ大宇宙から地球の敵がキングギドラだガイガンだ盾ゴジラやっつけるんだ「どこでも正義のためだ」「広い馬場だ」「泡波へて」「目指すは悪い怪獣だ」「でっかい体にでっかい声」今日も戦う僕らのゴジラ頑張れ頑張れ僕らのゴジラ頑張れ頑張れ僕らのゴジラ行くぞどこでも仲間のためだ広い小屋にサージンをあげて目指すは悪い怪獣だでっかい口から放射能いつも戦う僕らのゴジラ頑張れ頑張れ僕らのゴジラ頑張れ頑張れ僕らのゴジラ「どこでも平和のためだ」「広い世界を駆け巡り」「目指すは悪い怪獣だ」「でっかい体に可愛い目玉」「戦う僕らのゴジラ」「頑張れ頑張れ